I mean, what's more football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve yeah. Pellizola, Sam Monson, right here, Monday morning, 7 a.m., head-to-head with Good Morning Football every single week. We're not in London, though. We're not in London like they are. Yeah. How come we're not on location like Good Morning Football? Our friends know. over there. You ready to go, man? Week three. Uh-huh. Almost in the books. We're going to review every single game. We'll talk Wednesday about your uh, baseball exploits, okay? Okay. It's fine. Because you've been practicing, I heard. Well, yeah, once. Yeah. I went out just to find out where we are. Yeah. yeah. That's great. We'll have an update on Wednesday on Sam's baseball exploits. But today, we have two and a half hours of greatness. We've got week three to, uh, to recap. So let's get right into it. Um, Bill's Dolphins. Let's start with that one. The Dolphins moved to 3-0, 21-19 over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we called this on the PFF NFL Daily. I was referring to it as a heavyweight battle okay. in South Florida between... The Bills and the Dolphins. The Bills were depleted their entire secondary. There was cramps on both sides, as our <laughs> commenters uh, noted on the daily yesterday. It was not just the Bills who were getting who were struggling with the heat. We have Tyreek Hill missing time. We we had injuries on the Dolphin side too. Okay. Uh, Tua Tungavello, a little bit of uh, controversy here, yeah, because uh, he had a back injury that made him stumble, quote like he had a head injury. Yeah. Uh huh. So. Um, that happened. That's going to be investigated. But, yeah, the NFLPA is demanding yeah. an investigation into that. Rightly so. I mean, Ian, Ian Rappaport, you know, just threw out there that it's a back injury, of course, because, you know, that's what Roger probably wanted him to say. It, so, yeah, Tua gets a late hit, to be fair, is the other point in this. Right? The ball's gone. Milano shoves him. And the reason that – the reason those, like, weak, quote-unquote, late hits on the quarterback thing gets called is because if you get pushed in the right way – and you sort of fall over backwards and your head pinballs against the turf, like that's how you get concussions. So it looks weak right up until the point where your head smacks off the turf and your brain gets scrambled. That's what looked like it happened to Tua. Tua stands up, is immediately like shaking his head with that, you know, Looney Tunes cartoon type of thing. And then takes a couple of steps, tries to jog it off and like seizes up and just kind of collapses. And then from that point on, looks extremely wobbly and has to be helped off the field. Yeah, as you said, the, the official party line is that, oh, they discovered it was a back injury that had seized up after, you know, earlier getting tweaked in a quarterback sneak. Where that doesn't make sense is that Miami themselves listed it as a head injury, you know? Right. So, okay, immediately we've got some cross wires here in the official party line. The other thing is, it doesn't matter. Like, whether it's a back or a head injury, the dude looked woozy and out of it after his head clocked off the turf. At that point, take him out of the game. It, it honestly doesn't matter whether or not he passed the concussion protocol. Aside from anything else, there is no definitive test for concussion. Whether it's the NFL's concussion protocol, whether it's rugby's HIA, head injury assessment thing, there is no like agreed-upon definitive test on at the time to determine whether or not a guy has been concussed. You're essentially doing best guess stuff that has to like fit into some kind of agreed protocol between all parties. But 
when you have a guy that's visibly shown symptoms, the guy should be removed from the game. I, I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing to be stating. For his own safety, that guy should be removed from the game. Um, Emmanuel Acho had a, a thing that he was – he tweeted and then he put a video on it as well, which was a good point. He said – he, he made a good point? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's rare. I know. Um, he said he got concussed once and – he went out of the game. He passed the concussion protocol because it was stuff like, you know, what day is today and who's the president, right? He said, like, well, I'm playing football, so it's Sunday, and the president is the president. But he, he said, so he played, he went in, played the rest of the game. After the game that day, you know, drove home and didn't know what his, which house was his. Like, got as far as his street and then had no idea where he lived. Wow. So the fact that you were able to pass the concussion protocol is kind of irrelevant. Um, for a guy displaying that level of symptoms, he should not have gone back in the game. And I think the NFLPA is absolutely right to demand investigations into what exactly happened there. So he came out for a little bit. Teddy Bridgewater had uh, two pass attempts. Then Tua comes back into the game. Um, it was a back-and-forth battle. You know, the Bills go up and down the first drive of the game, score again on their opening drive, go forward on fourth down. And um, looks like, hey, this is the Bills, right? This is the powerhouse that uh, we've been talking about here. But it ended up being a battle. The Dolphins just stuck with it. They're going back and forth. The Bills dropped back about 70 times with Josh Allen, 42 for 63 for 400 yards. And Allen really, it's, it's, it's a weird game for him because he had so much on his plate. Um, he was the leading rusher. Andy dropped back a million times. He also fumbles twice. And tries to throw, he didn't throw an interception, tried to throw multiple interceptions, including what would have been a game ender. You know, they're sitting there mm. driving at the very end, fourth and uh, goal to go. He's got a dropped interception in the end zone, dropped interception a little bit earlier on that drive. By the way, Javon Holland, absolute yeah. baller for the Miami Dolphins. He had a couple of plays deep in the secondary where he was almost creating turnovers late in the game. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, wreaking havoc as a blitzer again. So uh, Javon Holland making a ton of good plays for the Dolphins. And then I think you just got to hand it to Tua in that passing attack. Tua's throw to Jalen Waddle, man. It's third and 22, hits the deep post. Look, I, I know that the Bills' secondary is banged up and they were, they were all injured and everything, but that was as big time of a big time throw as it gets. He put it right on him. And that was probably the turn, the one of the biggest plays in the entire game. Yeah, lost in the whole, you know, Tua's head bouncing off the turf and wobbly stuff is Tua had another really good game. Um, he looked excellent, and that whole offense looked excellent. So Miami, it's it's sort of like, what is your takeaway from this game, right? A, a titanic battle between what we thought was the best team in the NFL and probably still is in Buffalo, and then Miami, who's one of two, right, three and O teams at this point. Um, I think Miami's for real. I mean, they looked fantastic against, admittedly, a depleted Buffalo secondary and team overall. But Tua played fantastic again for uh, the second consecutive game. Um, that offense is very, very difficult to stop and contain. And their part, I think they held up, uh, or they held up their end of the bargain, absolutely. Buffalo side, it's like, yeah, look, okay, you lost. You know, you drop a game, it's a division rival, et cetera, et cetera. But given the de how depleted that team was going into this game, given the people they were losing during the course of the game, and given, you know, how much was on Josh Allen's plate, 
they still almost got it done. Almost. And look, I'm not giving them credit for the almost, except to say that coming that close to a win in those circumstances is itself very impressive. Very end of the game. It's 21 to 17. It looks like the game's over. The um, So Josh Allen also misses. Critical throw. On fourth down. An open touchdown. Yep. Um, so Al- Allen's overall grade is not going to be good. With the five turnover-worthy plays, that miss. He made some spectacular plays, too. But even even just like the raw stats, 400 yards, it was 6.3 yards per attempt. It was a lot of uh, underneath stuff. There was some spectacular in there, as always, with Josh Allen. But the grade's probably not going to be very good. Um, misses the game-winning throw. What they, they say he was hurt. Is he hurt, Allen? I mean, I something would've... about an arm or a finger or something that may have affected the throw. Um, but Miami looks it looks like the game's over. It's like, hey, Miami, goal line stand, basically, because Allen misses the throw. It's 21 to 17. Uh, Miami ends up, they have to punt from the end zone. Do we have a name for this punt yet? The butt punt. The butt punt. Yeah. It's already called the butt punt? Oh, it was called the butt punt about seven seconds after it okay, happened. Perfect. Yeah. The kick off the uh, personal protector's buttocks. <laughs> Did you that. see his tweet? <laughs> Who's that? The, was it Trent Sherfield was the guy, the, the personal protector, who had the ball like buried <laughs> up his own hoop. Um, he tweeted that he's got he's now got a he's now got a W. Here we go. My cheeks have a big W tatted on them from the from, from the, the Wilson, Wilson. Yeah. yeah from the Duke from the Duke from the being Duke. buried up his own behind by uh, Thomas Morstead. Honestly, when I first saw it, because I'm I'm watching on my eight box mix, yeah. you know, you don't get like, the full you know the full effect of the butt punt from the, from the eight box. You know what I really thought? I thought that the punt just went backwards. Yeah, I really thought that it just. Because, you know, you're trying to, yeah, you're you're trying to get up, rid of it know. quickly and you're rushing it's it. I thought angle. it was shanked so badly <laughs> that it was punted backwards, which I kind of respect. You know, if you're going to take a safety, do it the right way. You punt it, you punt it straight back, like yeah. negative yardage. Uh-huh. Um, but no, it was blocked by buttocks. Yeah. Um, so that made it 21 to 19. And then the Bills had another opportunity. It was pretty funny in terms. So, yeah, in, in a Dolphins weird way. Held again. The safety actually was probably a good thing for them. So, so in a 21-17 to 17 game with just under two minutes left, I think the announcers even mentioned it, you would consider a safety. An right? intentional one. An intentional you're backed safety. up. You've got, you've got 66% of the yards you, you typically have to get a punt away. The risk there, though, so, so what, here's what you're risking. If you punt from the end zone, of course it could get blocked and whatever. But you're, you're probably going to give the ball to the Bills at about the 50, right, as far as – because you're, you're, they're going to give – maybe even better. And if you – but they need a touchdown. And you already just made a stand to stop their touchdown drive. If you take the safety, you lose two points. You're only up two. Yeah. But you get the free kick. You'll probably give it to them in, at the 25-30 yard line, but they only need a field goal. So that's the risk that you're weighing there. The Dolphins chose to punt it. And ended up with the second choice, which was the safety. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was it. There is a glorious photo of the butt punt where it's taken basically at the moment of impact where it does look like the ball is fairly firmly buried, you know, right up the rear end of Trent Sherfield. That can't have been pleasant from, uh, you know, from his perspective. No. Kind of felt good, you know? No. Line drive off your butt. Anyway, good for the Dolphins, man. That was... Uh, that was an impressive battle. I know the heat had an effect 
injuries on the in Buffalo secondary, but Miami had injuries too. Again, I have to I have to say that, right? I can't be biased here, Sam. It did. I mean, I would like to know what the breakdown was of of number of injuries because it did seem like Buffalo was suffering more. Which, to be fair, is kind of the point of the like. This is a legitimate home field advantage from Miami, albeit one that might only last September. Um, but they're playing in the baking sunshine. You know, the the on-field temperature is upwards of 100 degrees. Miami's in white. Buffalo's in dark blue. Buffalo is the one team with the sideline in the sunshine the whole way. Miami is in the shade on their side of the field. Like, Buffalo, by the end of that game, looked spent. Also, by the, like, they also looked pretty sunburned. You know, this is, sun can be nasty in South Florida, Steve. And Mike oh, McDaniel's yeah. over there in a hoodie on the sideline. I would I, need. I don't understand. I don't understand that. I would need like you know the the lightest of lightweight t-shirt and a fan and a cool drink, and he's over there in a hoodie. Admittedly, he rolled up the sleeves at one point, so it must have been very hot. But I don't God. understand choosing to be in that level of discomfort. No, I don't understand that. I, Even like training camp this summer, I went you know going to training camp. There's all these coaches just like rocking hoodies, 90 yeah. degrees and humid in in August. Like what's going it. on? I understand long sleeves in terms of sun protection, but like like that Under Armour thing that you have, you know, where it's like lightweight but long sleeve, so it will cover. The red one that I wear on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be wearing it pretty much every daily right. once it gets cold. It will cover the skin, but it's not warm. You no, know? and I hate wearing that's that's heat gear. Yeah, and it's very uncomfortable during. But they're wearing things like this. Yeah, in 90-degree heat. You know, no, 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 no. Important question for the fans. Would you rather wear a hoodie in 90-degree humid heat or sleeveless in the snow? Sleeveless or in, the in the snow without a second thought. Yeah. I hate sweating to the point where it, like, is dripping. I can't know. Yeah. There's some, I don't know what the... I think I'd rather sweat still. No. I think I'd still God, rather sweat. No. I would. This is important. Can we get that poll? I, so I don't stop wearing shorts until the temperature drops below 25, at which point it actually starts to, you know, damage the skin and stuff. But that's where I, now it's too cold. Yeah. Al like, McGrath uh, reminds us we had the butt fumble. No, we have the butt, uh, butt punt. Don't forget the butt pick. We had a butt pick a couple years true. ago by Marshawn Lattimore. Rookie Marshawn Lattimore had a butt pick uh, of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, yeah. yeah that was that the was... year where Matt Ryan's, like, turnover-worthy luck was absurd. Yeah. It made it no sense. Um, anyway, so the, look, the Bills still put pressure on the Dolphins pass blocking grade of 39 for the Dolphins and uh Tua continues to put up massive stats again that Waddle third and 22 play just huge and you see what the Dolphins are capable of even if it was less consistent in this game you see what they're capable of as far as the big plays go that's how they were able to make that comeback last week that's how they were able to make the comeback in this game um, there was also one of the biggest plays was Matt Milano dropping a pick six. Remember, Matt Milano yeah. had a pick six on Monday Night Football against the Tennessee Titans. He had another opportunity for that. That was the only turnover-worthy play for Tua. Which is the second week in a row that that's happened. Which one? Tua? That Tua's had a clanger in, in the midst of a very good game otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, that was the, that's the Jimmy Garoppolo aspect of, of Tua, I would say. There'll, there'll be not just, a, not just like a force into coverage, but just a bad misread. You yeah. know, they're, they're extreme turnover-worthy plays sometimes with, with Tua. But I, I got to give him credit for him bouncing back from the back injury that looked like a head injury, hitting Waddle on the third and 22, a couple big-time throws in there, and uh, the Dolphins move. 
to I, the So one other guy that I, two other people that I wanted to mention in terms of impressive games. Melvin Ingram just kept showing up with big plays. Oh, that's what I, that's what I wanted to say. Melvin just, Ingram. Just sign Melvin Ingram every offseason. Always. Melvin Ingram was the best pass rusher, edge rusher on the Chiefs last year. He was the best pass rusher, or the the best compliment that T.J. Wattis had as an edge rusher when he was with the Steelers, and he, for some reason they just took away his playing time. He showed up here. Um, you know those plays where, like, Josh Allen is unstoppable because he can outrun linemen, he can run over DBs? Like, they got him one-on-one into open space down by the goal line, and Melvin Ingram shut him down. Like, one-on-one in space, Melvin Ingram tackled Josh Allen, stopped the play there. He also chased down... Um, Said, uh, he, he chased down Isaiah McKenzie late in the game to, to kill it, to end the game. Like, he was the guy chasing him down from behind. By the way, that, that last little sequence is probably worth talking about. Um, also, so, two things. Buffalo was one of a number of teams that seemed to absolutely butcher the last few seconds just before the half. Three or four teams made an absolute balls out of their pre-halftime little sequence of plays. Couldn't get the playoff, ended up going into halftime, blah, blah. Um, late in the game, again, they get the ball back. They're driving. Their play to Josh Allen makes a miracle happen, gets it off to Isaiah McKenzie, who was sort of trapped in the middle of the field. Really quick, can we get can we get the Ken Dorsey? You want Ken? Yeah, so um, <laughs> Tyler, we gave you no preparation here, but Ken Dorsey's— I've uh, tweeted it if you want the video. Yeah, Sam's Twitter or uh, just Ken Dorsey's reaction. We'll just call it a reaction late— so McKenzie the has game. the ball in space. He catches it. It's in the middle of the field. Time is running out. It's a very difficult situation where you're like, okay, do you go down immediately and try and save the seconds and quickly get up to the line of scrimmage and get one more playoff? Or do you try and make it to the sideline, stop the clock that way, or just get you know all you can in terms of yardage? Anyway, he's sort of trapped. He heads towards the sideline. Xavier uh, Howard, I think, cuts him off. He has to cut back inside, ends up getting chased down from behind by Melvin Ingram. By the time he's tackled, there's like 10 seconds left on the clock, and you're like, they're not getting this off. They rush the line, don't end up getting the playoff. And then here's Ken losing his goddamn mind at the end of it. My favorite part of this video is the dude with the hand right at the end trying to save it, you know? This is all broadcast live on CBS. Oh, I could just keep rewatching. Where's the hand? Who's uh... the, the thing at the end? The, the, this this blank thing, the screen going blank, is a dude's hand jumping in front of the. From where? Is on the other side of Dorsey? Yeah, like a guy sitting yeah. to the left of him. Because the thing is, right? This is being broadcast the live guy, on the CBS. The guy next to him's just picking up his stuff. Yeah, and you, they get the TV feed, but it's like a couple of seconds delayed, right? So what is happening here is Ken is losing his his mind. The guy sitting there. You know, there's like a three-second delay, and then that guy goes, uh-oh. And as soon as it takes him to process, it jumps in front with the hand to cut it off, at which point we've only seen five seconds of Ken losing his mind. I will say that— Sorry, if you're in podcast world, you can uh, check us out on YouTube where we're, we're showing the clip of Ken Dorsey losing it. So. Yeah. Um, Nick Wright and Daniel Negrano, weirdly, a professional poker player, were having like an argument on Twitter about whether this was— Nick, uh, Nick's point was sort of like, this is— pretty embarrassing for a coach to be like you know, have a full-blown temper tantrum like that what yeah and Daniel Legrano was like no 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 I etc I, I will say I think the most embarrassing part of it was that that was the most feeble tantrum temper tantrum I've seen in my life Ken Dorsey for what people would you throw I think, well, here's I think the that was controlled emotion I mean the, no that was a, not controlled you've got a Come lap on. did he have a laptop there by the way it was another tablet 
Surface has taken a beating these recently in the first couple of weeks of the NFL. I, Here's the thing. Ken yeah, Dorsey. Don't, don't mess with the tab. You just, the headset's easier to replace. For people that don't remember, Ken Dorsey was like a little bit like Kellen Moore before Kellen Moore was Kellen Moore. Quarterback at the University of Miami. A guy a lot of people liked because, you know, cerebral, accurate, but he had no physical tools whatsoever. He was yeah. tall. That was it. But he had a noodle for an arm. And it's like that man will never succeed in the NFL because he just doesn't have the physical capability of throwing the ball more than 35 yards. So, you know, the, the, the lack of fi- feebleness kind of typified Ken Dorsey's quarterback play. That was, that was the temper tantrum of a man that had that profile as a quarterback, you know? It was like, eh, eh. it just looked like a child, you know what I mean? Like my nine-year-old would throw a better temper tantrum than that. If you're going to throw a temper, temper tantrum, do it properly. Smash some stuff. Like, he smashed, that surface is fine. You can use that tomorrow. That's good. That's Tom Brady. Spent. Tom Brady obliterated the surface he had by. Tossing. I'm sure the league, that thing's done. I'm sure the league sent out a warning. They did after Tom Brady. They, they literally yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. So he knew, like headset. He didn't replace. know. Yes, he, that is control. Stop it's it. It's like it's like as a pitcher, if I ever had if I ever you know had to throw down, got into a fight, I would be cognizant enough to punch with my left hand. <laughs> punch with the left. There's no even, way. Even in anger, I would know punch left-handed. Stop it. Ken Dor- that was not a controlled temper tantrum. Certainly was. That was just, that's how weak, that's how feeble Ken Dorsey is physically. For anybody that says, Nick Wright, that that is embarrassing for the coach, yeah. that to act like that probably hasn't been around too many football coaches. I mean, that is par for the course well, as well, far as, like, well, throwing a tantrum, yelling, being upset, being crazy. I mean, those are two different things, though, whether it's normal for a coach it can be normal and embarrassing said, at the same time. I said the course. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's normal, no, 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 but acceptable, like, whatever. It it's can be expected and still embarrassing. Credit the Miami Dolphins. And I just want to reiterate. Oh, you wanted to highlight someone else with Melvin Ingram. Was it Trey Flowers as well? Uh, could have been, I don't remember who. No. Somebody made a spectacular pass breakup in the end zone to Sabian Howard. Gabriel Davis. I Oh no! So Xavier Howard, he dropped one of the what would have been the probably the game-ending interception in the end zone. This is the second straight week Xavier Howard, who has great hands, has dropped an interception opportunity. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but it was a touchdown. It was in Gabriel Davis's hands, and then the corner or the DB, let's assume it was a corner, stayed with it, you know, raked through, hands through, and ended up breaking up the pass. That was a big play that helped Miami and wasn't able to, you know, wasn't a score for Buffalo. Of course, we're spending a lot of time on this game. It's, it's yes. the biggest game of the week. Uh, one of the biggest games of the week, Bills-Dolphins, AFC East battle. The Dolphins moved to 3-0, and their first place in the AFC. Um, the, one, the one other thing I want to highlight, you mentioned Melvin Ingram. I mentioned Trey Flowers. Both of those guys had five pressures apiece, very good pass rush grades. Christian Wilkins had a good game. And I just want to reiterate that Javon Holland is an absolute baller. Mm-hmm. Second rounder last year at safety, probably the best safety in that draft class. Uh, through two years he has been I mean he's been absolutely outstanding for whatever Miami has asked him to do but I just want to credit the Dolphins in scraping the waiver wire essentially for Melvin Ingram and for Trey Flowers these are the same types of moves we compliment the Eagles for for you know getting James Bradbury and um, the Dolphins have built a pretty nice defensive front here and uh, we saw them make a ton of plays here down the stretch one last point this was a fascinating example of Miami we question going into this game what is Miami's defense going to do with Josh Allen because we've reached this point where Allen is unstoppable in terms of game plan whether you blitz him whether you drop in coverage either way he's carving it up Miami said we blitz that's what we do we're one of the most blitz happy defenses in the NFL we're going to stick with that they blitzed him 28 times 
Um, now, there was a mixed results in those. He, went, he ended up going 17 of 22 against the Blitz for two touchdowns, no interceptions, 9.2 yards per attempt. Generally, that's a pretty healthy stat line. But they did generate enough problems where it was making his life really, really difficult. Like That's where they had him fumble a couple times. Yeah. Put the ball on the ground. He yeah. It was – Allen did a good job against the Blitz, but it was way more balanced and sort of back and forth and a, a very uh, intense struggle than that stat line would have you suggest. So I think this was a, a very interesting kind of matchup where the Dolphins said, no, we're going to keep blitzing him. We're going to make his life really difficult. And if he ends up getting it done, so be it. And he almost did, but Miami ended up just coming out on the right side of that. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, let's go to the other, well, one of the upsets of the week. Indianapolis Colts 20, Kansas City Chiefs 17. Uh, by the way, in the last one, did we, um, how did we do with our picks in the last one? The last game or the last? The last one was bad. We week. both took the Chiefs here. I know that in the, we both uh, the took Colts. Buffalo in the previous game. It's not a good week for either of us. Uh, uh, much worse week for you than me, but a bad week for it's both. A bad of us. season for me. I have overall. seven wins with a game still to go, so the best I can do is five hundred. You have four. Whatever. Sam, Steve, and the viewers all picked the Chiefs to cover. Our take was that uh, Patrick Mahomes owns Gus Bradley yeah. his defense. Um, which, by the way, as I, as, I, as I ran through the numbers the other day, it wasn't really the case historically. It was definitely the case last year. Yeah. But in this one... I mean, it was pretty the case historically, just a lot less. Just less than just last, last year. The Colts played really tough up front. It was, man, it was like the last Colts game that they won uh, against, against the Chiefs a few years back where they ended up just kind of... Like they averaged 3.4 yards per carry, the Colts. And it's, it's one of those games where if you just convert enough third downs, it, it does steal a possession yeah. here or there. The, you this know? game just made no sense. Um, like even but it really comes down. The controversy at the end, though, the, the Colts had no answer for the, Chiefs, for the Chiefs blitz. The Colts were just like letting the seas part. <laughs> Come on through, blitzers. And Matt Ryan had not a prayer yeah. most of the time. And they ended up, the, the Chiefs make the stop. The Colts are going for a game-winning drive. The, Col the Chiefs make the stop. And then Chris Jones uh, talked trash a little bit. Yeah. Picks a up a 15-yard penalty to prolong the drive. A verbal uh, penalty. A verbal penalty, basically. So that essentially turned the Chiefs' final drive into an 8-minute, 14-second, 16-play, 76-yard drive to cap the game-winning touchdown, Matt Ryan to Jelani Woods. His third touchdown of his career? Is this third? He had two yeah, in this game. Two in this game, one before, right? More than? More than Kyle Pitts. 
He has more career NFL touchdowns than Kyle Pitts. It's because he's twice his size. Why can't Atlanta get superstar don't, elite don't, receivers don't, into the end zone? We don't have time for tangents. We don't have time for tangents. Okay. Just saying, Jelani Woods I'm just with the having, touchdown. Having watched this game, it still makes no sense that Kansas City didn't win. Now, look, one of the biggest things is people could say that you know special teams is a third of the game. Well, it's not, but it's a big part of the game, particularly when you screw it up. So It's one-ninth of the game. One, okay, one-ninth of the game. The Chiefs' ninth in this particular game was awful and cost them the game. Sky Moore, my guy, yeah. was terrible as a punt returner in this game. It muffed the first punt, so immediately the, the Colts are set up right in the shadow of the Chiefs' end zone, end up scoring a touchdown in that play. So from, a, from, a, from Kansas City's possession, essentially, Sky Moore being unable to catch a punt led directly to an Indianapolis touchdown. So immediately they're in a hole. Uh, they also missed kicks. They missed a field goal. They missed an extra point. They botched another return where Sky Moore, presumably uh, traumatized by dropping the first one, decided, you know what, to hell with it. I'm gonna run the I'm gonna run right away from this one. I'm not even gonna try and catch it. Only it then bounced and they were able to down that at the one. Um, they had a botched fake as well. They went for a fake fourth down and the the whoever was throwing it, the punter took a shot at it and the guy just wasn't ready for the ball whatever you know people were making the point that were I to go for it on fourth down I might just keep Patrick Mahomes on the field and you know give him the shot at passing the ball perhaps a valid argument anyway the point being in, oh the third in, phase in the ninth of the game the Chiefs were terrible and that was a big part of much, losing much like the Packers special teams last year when the ninth of the game is that bad well, that's where it, it shows like up the most. More. It's like, yeah. mo- generally speaking, special teams are special teams, and the difference between good, bad, or indifferent is, yeah. Creep back toward average. Yeah, that's about but it special. really shows up when your special teams makes an absolute mess of a game. That's where you realize it's important not to be disastrous. It's not that important to be good, you know, average, below average, whatever. It's all the same. But just don't be horrendous. Uh, to give Gus Bradley credit, he didn't blitz Patrick Mahomes like crazy. Like He never does. I mean, no. that was never going to be his game plan. But uh, Mahomes was only blitzed twice, 0 for, t- uh, yeah, 0 for 2 on the two blitzes that the, uh, the Colts threw at him. Um, as I mentioned, when the Chiefs, it was just amazing how many times the Colts allowed free rushers. And that's on Matt Ryan, too. I mean, so in, he went 7 of 10 for 89 yards. He did complete some passes, but he had a turnover-worthy play in there that didn't show up in, uh, in three sacks. They didn't, have, they didn't have protection answers for those plays. But it didn't matter. It was one of those the Colts converted just enough first yeah. downs to keep the ball. And It does show you just how, you know, just how dependent on sort of the occasional single play football can be. You know? Like, generally speaking the difference between good or bad defenses or offense or whatever, it's because you can extend drives and it's a it's a broad sort of spectrum of we're going to be better consistently in a bunch of different plays. But sometimes you can have a re- relatively bad defense or whatever. If you can just get just that one play every now and again, that's a drive. And against teams like Kansas City, that's what you're talking about. It's stealing drives because they are generally so efficient at scoring and so productive you just need to figure out a way of stopping them one time and get off the field and try it again. Um, another huge play that loomed. It's 17-13 Chiefs. Um, so they ended up scoring only 17 points, right? They missed um, they missed the field goal to go up 20-13 to 13 before the Colts' final drive. Probably Mahomes' best throw of the day. Back shoulder corner route 
to Travis Kelsey and gets dropped yeah. in the end zone. You don't get a whole lot of back shoulder corner routes, but you know it's a it's a feel thing. I've seen you know Brady and Gronk used to do this every now and again. Mahomes puts it in a great spot. Kelsey adjusts his body, just drops it. Mm-hmm. They would have been up, you know, at least twenty three to thirteen, probably twenty four to thirteen with the extra point. And it's a moot point. I mean, it really it comes down to that those handful of plays. So that's you know the Colts won the game, obviously, but the Chiefs, yeah, Chiefs may have lost it. Yeah, Chiefs lost this game and too b- between all the special teams gaffes that you mentioned, dropping a touchdown to go up two scores with with eight fifty three in the fourth. Right, yeah. this would have been in the fourth quarter. Colts would have had to put together two touchdown drives. It's always unfortunate when a guy who, generally speaking, is you know one of the biggest reasons a team is winning ends up being one of the biggest reasons they don't win you know like travis kelsey early in this game they were going to travis kelsey whenever they needed to play the guy and he was making plays he looked really good he's always really good um and then he becomes the guy that drops okay it's 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 not the easiest catch in the world he's got to adjust late you know it is behind him but for a reason like it was intentionally thrown that that way yeah that was that was thrown there on purpose yeah yeah um, so it's not the easiest catch in the world he would have ever made, but it's one that Travis Kelsey generally makes in his sleep without thinking about it, and he does. He just drops it. Um, was really costly play. The Jelani Woods thing is fascinating because he was this. For anyone that kind of doesn't remember him as a draft prospect, a lot of people liked him coming out from Virginia. He's this monstrous physical specimen at tight end, six foot seven, over two hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, workout numbers were incredible. And it's like, all right, he wasn't tremendously productive in college, but just look at the untapped potential here. And we saw in this game that he re- he reminded me of when I was playing in Ireland. And you know, I'm again. We we get this thing where because you're nine foot tall, people think I'm five foot one. Did you send this Tyler? This uh, yeah, Tyler should have the picture. Okay. Um, but because you're nine foot tall, people think I'm like five one. But I'm like five eleven. I'm a normal sized human being. But hmm. normal size. There are still giant people out there like you and like Jelani Woods and like some dude that whose name I can't remember that was playing in the Irish league for Craig Gavin. Um, and when I was playing safety, there's a picture of me trying to cover this guy in the end zone, and he's again like you. He's like nine foot tall, and I'm like jumping in the air with a hand on his shoulder trying to break up this pass. And it looks like I'm a child next to this guy. Well, that's what. Uh, there you go. There's a picture. Look. So I'm like airborne. That's anybody trying to cover Jelani Woods. Bro. Yeah, Basically. that's what Jelani Woods makes NFL players look like. When you've got a safety on that guy, that's what it looks like. Yeah. A normal sized human being safety. You know, a six foot one, 210 pound guy is made look like a child by Jelani Woods in the end zone. That's basically what it is. It's insane the size difference this guy has over normal DBs trying to cover him. My notes on Jelani Woods were basically, I want this guy on my team. I mean, he's big, moves well enough, soft hands, catches the ball, got some work to do in some other areas, but man, just just want him on my team. He ends up having the two touchdowns. So it's two to one. Jelani Woods touchdowns to uh, Kyle Pitts Yeah, in their career. Two? These are his first two? These are his first two. It's just two to one. Pitts only has one. Uh, so Woods so must score it. in preseason. Was that it? When I heard that stat, I just assumed that Pitts had two and Woods now has three or whatever. Now it's two to one now. Okay. Yeah, career. but Woods definitely, like he must have scored in preseason, which is what I'm thinking of because he definitely scored a touchdown at some point. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, know, I didn't hear you cite that, but I, the stat is that he's got more than, than Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he had so, a touchdown uh, in week one of preseason. So, yeah, look, the Colts needed this, man. They're 1-1-1 one, one, and one now. Chiefs fall to 2-1. and one. 
Uh, tied for first with the Denver Broncos now in the AFC West. Of course. Which we'll get to. Um, but the Colts, tough win. Again, this was much like – by the way, they got Michael Pittman back, converted four, four first downs. Other key play, like Alec Pierce goes up. I forget who the corner was that he goes up and over for a 30-yarder. I mean, it was just little plays yeah. like that that the Colts needed. And still Alec no, Pierce making plays, Michael Pittman making plays that were huge. Getting it done despite still no um, Shaquille Leonard, right? He was still on the sideline. Right. Um, and this was a huge game for them. We said, like, last week was a must-win, except it probably wasn't because of that division. But all of a sudden, we, I joked about this in the pre, but Jacksonville might actually run away, like run and take this division if somebody doesn't keep pace with them. Yeah, it's a, it's a different feel for the Jags. I, you know, we'll get to that game 38-10 over the Chargers. We'll get to that game at some point. But um, anything else on this game? Any other uh, – do you have any other notes here? No, just that it made no damn sense, and I still don't understand how the Chiefs didn't win. But you, you listed – here's the thing. You listed all of the special teams mishaps. Chris, they make the stop on the game-winning drive. Chris Jones picks up the penalty, and there's a Travis Kelsey drop touchdown. Hmm. I'm not taking anything away from the Colts, but I think the Chiefs lost this game. I like so when they the I think the official whoever the guy has to justify this thing came out and explained to reporters that yeah it was it was something he said you know, and like. They kept asking questions as if he's not going to give you like a transcript of what it was Chris Jones said that got him a flag. Like, yeah, they got like four questions about it. I know. And he was like, um, you know, it was something he said. I'm going to leave it at that. And they kept asking. It's like, what do you honestly expect him to be like? Oh, what he actually did was call the guy. You know, of course, he's not going to tell yeah. you what like that was. I don't know. Look, There's, officials aren't perfect. I would like to think that it was bad enough that it warranted a flag, given the rules of football. I mean, football look, I'm generally in favor of the idea that officials should have to justify decisions they make and explain what happened in sports and generally all situations. That being said, I think it's a fairly reasonable line to draw to say they're not going to give you, you know, a full blow-by-blow account of exactly what it was the guy said that, got, that drew the flag. We had 97 votes in the hoodie in the heat versus sleeveless in the snow debate. Thank you, Tyler. That was well done. Um, if we had 97 votes, we should at least have 97 likes. We have 27. Right. That's yeah, a lot less. So, so nail that li- the like button. Hit the like the button. The thumbs up. Uh-huh. Um, but hoodie in the heat wins. 52%. Well, that's just It's a 47% over uh, sleeveless in the snow. No, that's, that's foolish. Must have been 53 to 47 some rounding errors in there. That's only, 90, only 99% of the precincts have reported. Um, hoodie in the Heat wins. Yeah. Show, wow. All right. Shocking. And it's wrong, but fine. Baltimore Ravens 37, New England Patriots 26. This game was a little crazy at the end. It was like every time, every time a team made a comeback, they fumbled. Yeah. Or they looked like, all right, now they're going to make the comeback. They fumble, turn it over, whatever it is. End of the game, Mac Jones gets rolled up on. Looks like a high ankle sprain. On the was the last throw. Last, I yeah. think it was the last. Yeah, because he certainly intercept. didn't have another one. After Do not that. have a throw after that. Um, weird. It was a very weird game for Mac Jones. Lamar once again. This is kind of like the um, the MVP caliber season. Yeah, where he has four touchdowns on just twenty nine pass attempts. Of course, one's a one's a shovel pass in there. I like to put asterisk asterisks next to those but Lamar is a runner uh, 111 uh, 110 yards before he started taking knees and uh, killing his rushing total at the end there so Lamar does like the uh, reverse Kirk Cousins another huge game for him Rashad Bateman with some big plays Mark Andrews 
has a contested catch touchdown, which I think is more Mark Andrews than the throw. Yeah. Um, Got to preface that. Mark Andrews just up and over Devin McCourty just before the half. He also had an absurd one-handed snag in the game. I've seldom Early seen on, a yeah. guy catch a pass one-handed as easy as Mark Andrews makes it look. There's something about the speed with which he does it. You know, like, so a lot of players can, you know, you can cushion the ball coming into your one hand and kind of let it gra- and then get hold of it and blah, blah. Andrews just like the ball is coming and he's like... Just snaps yeah. out of hand, snags it, and it's in. And you're like, whoa. I think he's gotten better at that since his Oklahoma days. I thought he was a really good, shifty route runner and all that stuff. But then at Oklahoma, he I don't think he was great at adjusting to off-target throws. He's been, I think, much better at that at this, the NFL level. This was a career high for Mac Jones in terms of big-time throws in a game. He had five. He's never had more than four before in a single game. By the way, the four came in his debut. So he had four in his debut. And then I don't think he's had more than two or three since then in a single game. And then had five in this game. Now, they were countered by a bunch of turnover-worthy plays and some right. bad in there. But, I mean, this was – it was the complete opposite of um, – I don't want to say the Mac Jones narrative, but even just like how Mac Jones is generally described, right? Game manager is going to make good decisions, hit the underneath stuff. He was hitting – him and Devontae – this is Devontae Parker's breakout game. Mm-hmm. Um, Devontae hit him with a nice back shoulder, over routes. I mean, Mac Jones was hitting – some of these downfield throws, but then they get into the red zone, a couple bad interceptions, forced passes. Um, so Mac Jones ends up with no touchdowns, three interceptions, as you mentioned, high big time throws, high turnover worthy play rate. This was like the Mahomes game a couple of years ago. We were like, this was Texas Tech Mahomes. This was like Mac Jones playing like Texas Tech Mahomes with volatility it, here. It, so this was like, if you're New England and you're trying to work out what this offense needs to be and what it needs to do, this was one of those games. Sometimes you have the choice to kind of run and tinker with the offense and you know adjust to how you're sometimes the game flow just forces you into it that was what happened in this game like new england just got forced into having to play a little bit more like this and having to chase the game and having to try and make some big plays to counter what the ravens are doing and all of a sudden it's like well hang on mike jones can actually do this now okay look it didn't come without cost there were turnover worthy plays in there there were mistakes but, like, Matt Jones made some pretty spectacular things happen in this game. There was a fourth down where it went to hell pretty early, and Mac Jones was able to run around. He did a lot with his legs. Like, all of a sudden, Mac Jones is wrecking Baltimore's run defense. he's not slow, man. Like, I know. He actually ran fast. Um, I mean, was, well, fast. He was in the four sevens or something, wasn't it's he? It was like a 4.78. I mean, let's... let's dial it back a little bit. Like, it's fast. He's pushing it. There was also a near... Two point conversion. Was it? Um, God damn it! Was it Stevenson? I think so. That yeah. shoveled it. Yeah. So not shovel it. He offloaded in the tackle. That's the term. Ramondre Stevenson offloaded it in the tackle. Yeah. Two point conversion after play. reversing field on a two point conversion again. Attempt. His knee was just barely down. You I mean, describe it. Sorry, rugby guy. He was down for a while. Anyway, it was play again. Gone to hell. Ramondre Stevenson reverses field. Tries to get around the left hand side. Not going to happen. He's going to get tackled. But Mac Jones is standing there. So correctly, he diagnoses the situation as a, as a rugby professional, understands that if I can offload this ball in the tackle, we don't have to recycle. We don't have to go down, set up the ruck, get it going. I can just offload it. Mac Jones is, is free. And if he gets the ball, he's gone. He's going to walk in for the two-point conversion. Only problem was, Ramondre Stevenson's knee was on the ground, so the play's dead. doesn't count. I frankly think you just let it go because that was a rugby play and that's how it should be used. A wise upload. The 49ers. So I have a a bunch of sticky notes um, in my office at home. I have these, I have a a block of sticky notes where it's set up the, 
the there's like a, an offensive line drawn on them and a line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? So you oh, can yeah, draw yeah. plays quickly. Uh, I have a bunch of sticky notes drawn up that have accidental or deliberate rugby plays essentially drawn up on them where a, a football play happens in such a way that it actually would be amazing if you had a designed lateral in there. And I think teams have done this deliberately a couple of times. But the 49ers ran one yesterday where I, I don't even remember what the play was. I meant to jot it, jot it down and didn't. But it was like a, a fake run, a fake outside zone to the right that ended up coming back to the left-hand side on, on some kind of motion. And then Brandon Ayuk was the left wide receiver out there who was supposed to kind of lead, you know, end up becoming a lead blocker. But if he'd actually hung back, he could have been the overlap man on a two-on-one, lateral it out to Ayuk, who's in wide open on the sideline. There's rugby play. I'm telling you, there's a world where rugby plays are the new, the new the frontier in offense, and teams aren't tapping into it enough. But the Patriots tried. We're in game three, 45 minutes in, but yeah. we're, I'm just I'm, I'm going in. Um, how many rugby plays would you run per game <laughs> with an average offense? Because I mean, right? the, the better the offense, the fewer rugby plays you're probably going to tap into. But an average or a below-average offense, particularly a quarterback, should probably tap into the rugby world. Here. Secondly, is building a rugby team similar to a football? Do you just want speed and agility? Do you just want good athletes? Or are there certain skill sets where you could attack, you know, from a team-building standpoint, to build this team that maybe NFL teams are coveting these players differently? Well, You have 30 seconds. I was going to say, for the sake of the podcast, I'm just not going to answer the second one. The first one, I consider it a little bit like these various elements of offense that are just free yards. It's a cheat code, right? If you rugby yeah, you plays, should grab a couple per per game. Yeah, right? but it's not like a thing where it's not like a you know a fancy trick play where you can only run them like two or three times a game, otherwise teams figure it out and you just they're not going to work anymore. It's it's free offense. Like you can design a play where there's just an extra guy. It's an overlap. It's just. It's low-hanging fruit. Start using it. The only reason it isn't is because we're like, oh, we don't trust a guy to complete a five-yard pass simply to the dude outside of him. If he's like, he's an NFL athlete, the man can handle it. Let him throw a lateral. Here endeth my TED talk. Again, it was a crazy game. The failed two-point conversion gets New England within five. It was thirty-one to twenty-six at that point. And then Lamar Jackson hits uh, Rashad Bateman for a big play. He fumbles it back. It looks like all right. Well, New England's gonna. You know, here they come. They're driving down, and then Mac Jones intercepted by Marlon Humphrey in the end zone. Fascinating. I mean, the Ravens are beat up at cornerback, but their two best players, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, were outstanding. All of the other cornerbacks on their roster, horrible. I mean, it was it was a top-heavy effort by the by the Ravens at, at corner in this particular game. So Marlon Humphrey with the big interception in the end zone, and then Lamar and the Ravens drive down. And uh, was this when Lamar finished with the, with the rushing touchdown? I mean, Lamar Jackson as a runner, just a nine-yard touchdown on third and one to put the Ravens up for good. And it's, it's one of those, he just, gets, he just gets more than everyone else, basically. Even if you give him a hole, the average running quarterback is probably going to pick up a few yards or maybe pick up a first down. But Lamar has the speed, the burst, the... Um, just the feel as a runner as well to just maximize the yardage. So he turns what probably should have been, you know, first first and goal at the two, turns it into a touchdown. And um, and that was all she wrote. So um, really impressive by the Ravens and their offense. 
it wasn't run heavy again and um yeah they're looking good if they didn't have that week two collapse they're one week two collapse away from yeah. three and oh here in Baltimore. we uh we still don't know the severity of the mac jones injury uh x-rays were negative so it's not broken but we're talking high ankle sprain and potentially multiple weeks there as well i have seldom seen a player in as much pain as mac jones was in after that injury and immediately like he was in so much pain that rather than just lie there in pain... Why did he hop... No, whatever. Don't even get into it. Rather than just lie there in pain... We don't have time for He immediately got now. up and, like, hopped his way off the field and then had to be helped to the, the locker room. That Listen, man was in agony. Viewers and listeners, I don't know if we're the only NFL podcast that, that touches on every single game, but um, we do it. We do it on... We, we can't give every, to every game the same amount of love. We just can't do it. It's not realistic. Uh-huh. Um, so we're three games in, 45 minutes. We're setting records here. Yeah, you, you admonishing and keeping track of the timing is delaying us yet further. What's next? Philadelphia 24, Washington 8. Eagles move to 3-0. and Third straight week they've scored 24 in the first half. Second straight week they've done little in the second half. That's yeah, a weird As far down. as scoring goes. Um, it's like they, took the, they take their uh, foot off the gas just a little bit in the, in the second half. Another outstanding... Uh, stat line for Jalen Hurts, 22 for 35 for 340, three touchdowns. Uh, only ran the ball nine times for 20 yards there as well. The running game was was not really there for the Eagles, but it was another game where something – the Eagles won in a different way, we'll say, this week. I would say week one was the A.J. Brown game. He had the majority of their receiving yards, and he just took over. A.J. Brown was fantastic in this game as well. Week two, the Eagles were just dominated – the Vikings. They spread the ball around. Everything was good against Minnesota. That was the everything game. This was the Devontae Smith game. The everything game. Jalen Smith, uh, Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith, and uh, I'll let you talk about your boy Devontae, but these were, as much A.J. Brown had a contested catch down the field, he had a touchdown on a slant, but this was Devontae Smith's breakout, eight catches for a buck 69 and a score. This was Devontae Smith's, uh, the moment of his apotheosis. This was his ascent into godhood that's what happened in this game yeah you, we finally saw heisman trophy winning Devonte smith show up in the nfl last year as a rookie like oh Devonte smith looks really good he separates well he runs routes well he's got great sideline feel you know toe tap swag ability to catch all those kinds of things great but he's 160 something pounds can he really go up and win in the same way in the nfl that he did in college can he go on moss guys because we haven't really seen that and that's why Philadelphia is looking at this and going, yeah, he might become that number one guy, but we know A.J. Brown can do that stuff. He's been doing it in the NFL for a couple of years now. He's dominating guys physically. That's a missing skill set. Let's go get him. And then we've got something really special brewing. So they did that. It worked fantastically. We've already seen that. But this was a game that reminded you that, hey, like Devontae Smith was doing that stuff in college, and maybe he can still do that in the NFL. He had at least three insane catches in this game there was one george pickens-esque tracking it over his shoulder down the sideline a deep bomb thing not quite pickens level but really special play catches that one that's the kind of play you would have expected him to make last year so nothing you know new but then there were a couple of he just went up and moss people like in double coverage just goes up higher than everybody else, catches it, brings it down, does the same thing a couple of plays later or a play later in the end zone for a touchdown. This was a moment where Devontae Smith said, hey, we might have two number one guys. A.J. Brown's great, but I might actually end up being, you know, this number one receiver that you thought you drafted. 
even though I'm 166 pounds. Yeah, it's man, it makes the Eagles all the more dangerous right now with um with the ability for Devontae Smith to have a game like that. That was that was fantastic. They also had uh was a 23 yard touchdown to Dallas Goddard on a screen. It, it's it's almost like everything the Eagles are doing right now. It's very much like 2017. It is very much like their Super Bowl team. And remember, that's, they that's still have all around. they still have two first round picks next year. They're 30 something million under the cap next year already projected. Yeah. Um they have a ton of wiggle room going forward. Like this isn't something that is coming together now and if it doesn't work, they're screwed. They're in a great position. Now look, Jalen Hurts has um developed, I think I think yesterday wasn't his his cleanest day as a passer. I mean, I really think a lot of. I mean, by definition, when you're when you're talking stat. about one receiver going up and mossing guys multiple times, and AJ Brown too. I mean, it, there was that that AJ Brown deep ball gets broken up the majority of the time. That yeah. was not where he wanted it. I don't think, and Brown wins it. Whatever. All I'm saying is, it wasn't the cleanest passing game for Hurts so far out of his three, and the stats are still ridiculous. The Eagles, I don't want to sit here and go back and rehash the Eagles, but a year ago at this time, it felt like a rebuild, right? And um, we do have an email question, which maybe we'll touch on Wednesday. Does a team ever really tear it down and build it back up again? I think the Eagles, they didn't tear it down, but they might be the, the blueprint for the rebuild, right? I mean, they were still kind of holding on to their Super Bowl roster for a couple of years, and they've turned it around here in the last year and a half at an incredible rate, which includes, like you're saying, still having good offseason draft capital and cap space and all that stuff. But it's the development of Jalen Hurts yeah. that lets that happen, right, to be able to invest. But they're also, I think, positions. an example of how you can hedge at quarterback. We're in this binary world where we have to debate constantly, is this quarterback capable of being a top 10 guy, that ele- like the Matt Ryan inflection point, which is probably no longer applicable. We need a new, we need need a new, new Matt Ryan line. Um, but – is a quarterback better than that or worse than that? If he's worse, you blow it up, you start over, you go in a different direction. If he's better, you can build something and go to a Super Bowl. The Eagles were sort of trapped in that world where it's like, is, is Jalen Hurts ever going to be better than that? I don't know. But as long as we don't know, let's put a Super Bowl team around him and see what happens. And if he isn't, we'll keep maintaining the two first-round draft picks every year so that we can go and pivot in a new direction and try and get a new quarterback if we need to. But if we put a great team around him, we're only helping. So the Eagles, I think, kind of hedged at quarterback a couple of times now. And Jalen Hurts has consistently gotten better every single season, looks better this year than he was a year ago. And we still don't really know if he's above that point. But right now, it doesn't seem to matter because the Eagles have successfully built what appears to be a championship caliber team around him. And then you don't even need at that point him to be above that line all the time well then you just need him to be above that line for a few games at the end of the year because he's a second rounder next year's the last year of his contract and that's going to be the whole next step yeah. Jalen Hurts earned his second contract what's he worth but I think the point is that they are they've shown there is is there is a different way of doing it than this binary yes or no declaration on the quarterback you know yes we roll no we blow it all up and stuff. like they've shown that you can kind of hedge this thing better and proceed with the assumption that he might be that good, but with the contingency that if he isn't, we can easily pivot away. Carson Wentz sacked nine times. There was a point in the game to, at, um, what, early? In, I mean, in the third quarter. It was like middle of the third quarter. You said what, they had negative four passing yards. Oh, it's so at one point, I have the screenshot here. I'm not sure when it was in the game, but the Eagles have 323 passing yards and Washington has minus one. 
Right, because again, for team passing yards, the sacks count as negatives. Yes. And uh, Carson Wentz sacked nine times for negative uh, 58 yards. Uh, Jordan Davis only rushed the passer 14 times but had four pressures. So he was rushing the passer. Is the Brandon Graham bet on? You said no. You declared no after. Oh, we're going to need the interns multiple to, uh, times. Brandon Graham had three sacks by our numbers. <laughs> He's up to four this bad. year. We got a 17 game schedule. Yeah. No way Brandon Graham's going to blow this, right? This is a 15 sack season for you Brandon. You probably should have kept it going, but you didn't. That dude could still get after the quarterback. But um, you had Josh Sweat getting in there. They had Brandon Graham, as I mentioned. They had eight different defenders notch multiple pressures in the game, the Eagles. Yeah, uh, really impressive effort by their entire defensive and, and front. Not, and they weren't blitzing because they had eight different guys who were getting pressure. Like, they rotate in that defensive line. They keep everybody fresh, and they're able to get tons of pressure with just four rushers. That, that jackpot scenario that we were talking about. I don't even—their uh, pressure rate even wasn't—it was very good. It, it, but Carson Wentz, man, when he is under pressure, is just staring at the rush. Well, not just when he's under pressure, but just doesn't feel— pressure in addition to reacting badly when he gets pressure i mean steven ruiz posted a screenshot of a play where carson wentz was sort of looking to his right and just kind of wandered into a sack but there's like a wide open area of real estate to the left within the pocket you know what i mean yeah a guy like tom brady or insert random good quarterback here just intuitively just takes a step to his left and is never in trouble in that play carson wentz just doesn't have that feel and never has so he stands there he's looking to his right so it's like there's so I, I don't know what the principle is but when you're driving you know if you look at something you tend to hit it you know what i mean so when they when you're if you're a race car driver you look at the apex in the corner because that will immediately that will lead you to drive and hit the apex but it also works when you're like driving in real world scenarios like if you stare at a tree going around a corner you have a tendency to drive towards the tree Wentz does that quarterbacking, you know? Like, he, if he's looking at something, he's just going to lean in that direction and head towards it, we which can be at, problematic. Yeah, we learned that at driving school. Oh, there you go. See? Yeah, when we were at the uh, BMW Performance Center last there spring, See? building yeah. our team here uh-huh. at PFF. You got to look at the t- – yeah, you got to look. Got to look at the apex. Cause that, and they were like, you're going to do it wrong. Uh-huh. You're going to do it wrong. You're all going to do it wrong. Yeah. You look at apex. Yeah. Well, that's what Wentz does, but not with an quarterbacking. A- not an apex look. Right. He, he looks, and he immediately just heads off in the direction he's looking. Yeah, he's been sacked 16 times this year. And I know everybody's like, oh, the offensive line's terrible, but um, Wentz's is, Wentz is sack rate. I mean, honestly, it's just gotten worse since his Eagles days, and the Eagles gave him the most pristine yeah. protection that he's had. Um, I think we are getting to the point with Carson Wentz where it's like, if it's not complete lockdown with your front five, it's trouble. Um, I told you, I don't mind turnover-worthy plays from Carson Wentz, but not fumbles, right? Like, he's fumbling in the pocket when he's maneuvering and all that stuff. I get it. Like, he's trying to make these second reaction plays and all that, and that's part of Wentz's game, creating big plays. But you can't just keep putting the ball on the turf when it comes to that. I want, I don't mind a couple throws into coverage from Carson Wentz if it's going to lead to some, some big plays from Terry McLaurin or Jahan Dotson or whatever it is. But... Anyway, Eagles dominant once again. Feels like 2017, doesn't it, Eagles fans? Feels like that Super Bowl team. Kind of came out of nowhere, right? Not that the Eagles are out of nowhere, we didn't, but, but just immediately felt like one of the best teams in the NFL mm-hmm. at, the, at the start of the season. And I think, that's, I think that's where we are right now. Guys, don't forget, PFF has an app. Go check it out in the App Store. Go download it right now.
Go do it right now. Industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis. It's all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review, and uh, you can still throw in uh, Super Bowl predictions, apparently. Why not? Just throw them in there. Five-star review, Super Bowl prediction, and uh, on one of our Wednesday shows, we will read our favorite ones. Five-star review, PFF app. Go download it right now. Where do you want to go next here? I'm looking at all the games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Minnesota 28, Detroit 24. Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins with a big fourth quarter comeback here. Game-winning touchdown pass by Kirk Cousins. The stuff we always said he couldn't do. It was a 1 p.m. game against Detroit. It's really, it's Kirk Cousins' time, you know? Wow. Not even going to give him credit for this, huh? I mean, I'm giving him credit. I'm just saying that if you're going to get a good Kirk Cousins game, it's going to tend to come in the 1 p.m. slate against Detroit, you know? Yeah, I get it. Uh, weird game for the Vikings offense, right? No Justin Jefferson, three catches for 14 yards on only six targets after he dominated in week one. Justin Jefferson, not as much a part of the offense recently here. Um, had a drop in there that didn't help. Yeah. And one another one that was kind of borderline, you know, he could have done better on. Cousins bounced back, though. Disastrous Monday night football game against the Eagles. Vikings played much better, at least down the stretch. Made a couple big plays here against the Lions. Thought Goff played one of his better games. He made some some big time throws. The, the Lions remain explosive on offense, but yeah. the Vikings cracked down in the second half there, and that you know their defense did a nice job to uh, hold the fort a little bit when the Lions were up twenty four to fourteen. They didn't score again in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they, that was really the key. The Lions' offense did look good again. They they they've been on this insane run of just scoring every single quarter constantly they were on like they were 15 17 consecutive quarters something like that of scoring a touchdown uh which is the longest streak in the nfl and then yeah the vikings defense managed to clamp down right at the critical moment and give them a shot to snatch this game away and you know there's some uh fourth down or late game sort of decision making stuff that comes in as well with dan campbell uh but it kind of it everything Late in this game, it all broke Minnesota's way. Like, they got a big defensive stop to give them one last chance to get it done. The Lions then busted a coverage with, like, 45 seconds left to give K.J. Osborne, you know, an easy walk-in touchdown. Just a kind of a litany of bad things that all broke against Detroit late in the game. Alex in the chat's just going off here. Yeah. Eagles fan. He's attacking everybody. Yeah. Okay. He's He's helping the chat. Look, thumbs up. They're up to 80 here. When you compel the people. A few more thumbs up here for everybody. Yeah, the Lions are doing some fun stuff. There's, a, I think, Panay Sewell playing at tight end. Just absolutely wrecking the edge on a touchdown run and everything. I, I, I love watching the Lions on offense right did, now. Did you hear about Dalvin Cook's injury? No. Dalvin Cook leaves the game, shoulder injury. Uh, later comes out, that, so he dislocated his shoulder again. Apparently... He has an unrepaired torn labrum, which causes his shoulder to essentially pop out of its socket every now and again. A lot like Riggs from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> so essentially, Dalvin Cook is, is Riggs, where every now and again the shoulder just pops out. Now, what they don't show is him being angry and like popping it back in on the goalpost, but yeah. that's what seems like it needs to happen. Next week, it seems like next week it sounds like they're hoping he will play with a harness on to stop that happening, which you know one might suggest should have happened already if that was the case. But taking fifteen to twenty-five hits on your you know torn leg, uh-huh. yeah, 
Like, if that's a thing, you know, labrum isn't there anymore, so the shoulder is going to be prone to popping out. Maybe wear the harness to stop that happening. I don't know what the recovery time is for a non-thrower with the labrum, but maybe you could just get that repaired. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that needs – it doesn't repair without the, rep, you know, without the repairing surgery. Oh, no, like you it doesn't just You don't just regrow the labrum, you know? You stitch it together. Yeah. You got to do it. So it was a, a K.J. Osborne and Adam Thielen game. You also have Alexander Madison with a sweet touchdown run in there for the, uh, for the Vikings. Denell Hunter, kind of like how they're using Denell Hunter, dropping him into coverage a couple times. And um, What do you make of the Vikings now? <laughs> Here we go. The roller coaster ride that, the, that is the Vikings. They look like this compelling <laughs> playoff caliber team that dominates the Packers in week one. They look like the worst team in the league in week two against you know, maybe the best team in the league. Yeah. against the Eagles and then this week you know they pulled it off it was it wasn't great all the way through for Minnesota but again they made some key stops in the in the fourth quarter um, I like what um, Kevin O'Connell paraphrasing here but his post-game press conference was basically like we were going to be aggressive basically like I'm not going to let the Kirk Cousins narrative live here because <laughs> he's like we're, we were we were going to be aggressive we were going to throw the ball down the field I think he was trying to say like we're not checking down our way when we need a you know a score here uh-huh. to win we're going to be aggressive go for the go for, we're going to go for the win rather than the tie and they did yeah. and and the lions also busted the coverage but you know yeah. it was a it was a good aggressive comeback by Kirk Cousins Kevin O'Connell in the passing attack here yeah so the vikings vikings are 2 and 1 tied for tied for first sure the NFC north and yet it doesn't really look like they're any different from the past it's the same vikings same Vikings with some healthier defenders and those kinds of things. But I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna ride the roller coaster. Uh, I'm up on him again. Kudos to Josh uh, Metellus, the Viking safety who was playing because Harrison Smith wasn't there. Um, everyone was like, "Well, we're gonna see a bunch of Lewis seen in this game." You know, the first round rookie. Not not so much. Uh, Josh Metellus is in there and he makes the, he makes a play like late in the game to pick it off and seal the win. Safety is usually not the hardest place for rookies to play but Lewis Seen's not playing Daxton Hill I know Lewis Seen's behind players just like Daxton Hill's behind players yeah but very different players you know Daxton Hill's behind pro bowlers Lewis Seen is behind Cameron Bynum they love Bynum though I know but like you know I think Kevin O'Connell might be taking that Rams approach where like their rookies generally aren't going to play I got you yeah I think Seen might be behind Harrison Smith though well I mean, look, Minnesota's safety, how, how, how independent, like, they're fairly interchangeable, you know what I mean, position-wise? Uh, yeah, he, on the depth chart, he is probably behind Harrison Smith. Having said that, if you really wanted to get him on the field, it feels like you could put him in there instead of Cameron Bynum and certainly Josh Metellus, but they didn't. Wow, we have breaking news from AP NFL. The NFL is replacing, breaking news here, the NFL is replacing the Pro Bowl oh, yeah? with week-long skills competitions and a flag football game. Okay. Well, the skills competition is all anybody wanted anyway, so... Yeah, I just want to see how far Josh Allen can throw. Yeah. That's all I'm interested in. Exactly. All right. Minnesota 28, Detroit 24. Detroit falls to 1-2, and two, but it is... Uh, it's an exciting 1-2 and two yeah. in Detroit. That's a heartbreaker, man, for the Lions. That's uh-huh. a tough one. Got to learn how to close those games out. Uh, let's go Bengals 27. Is that what I... No. Let's go Tennessee. Tennessee. Titans 24, Raiders 22. Titans get up early. Another uh, Raiders tried to make the comeback, much like week one against the Chargers. Failed two-point conversion. 
at the end to uh, seal the deal for the Titans. I mean, this one's really about it's just just another weird game, man. I mean, Derek Carr, I was com- I was compelling him throw the ball down the field, make some big time throws. He was doing it in this game. He was flipping the field, uh, especially to my guy Mac Hollins, man. Mm. Mac Hollins finally breaking out this year. Eight catches for a buck fifty-eight. He had a sixty-yarder on fourth and long. Had a touchdown in there. Mac Hollins is the man, dude. Yeah. He looked awesome at UNC. He's bounced around the league. He looked really good at UNC. It's like five years later and he's breaking out here. But how do you figure out these Raiders? Because if if you told me Mac Hollins was going to ball out this year, I'm like, all right, great. Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, pretty good backfield. O-line's got some questions, but Carr's going to get these guys the ball. And he did yesterday. But the problem is the red zone, man. Yeah, I don't understand how this offense is as bad as it is right now. You're right. Like, we were saying Devontae Adams on his own, in addition to this receiving group, is enough to make this an incredible group. Derek Carr last year was really good. Derek Carr with Devontae Adams should lead to another sort of career year, at which point you're talking top 10 quarterback and a a guy capable of amazing things. Um, As long as the offensive line wasn't a complete and total unmitigated disaster, this offense should be really good. Then if you throw Matt Collins on top of that, and say, all right, now you got Devontae Adams, Mac Collins, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, plus friends. This should be unstoppable. Again, assuming that the pass protection is, is even vaguely viable, which it kind of has been. It's not been a train wreck. And it isn't. It stinks. Like, the offense is bad. What, what the hell is happening? Also, by the way, Josh McDaniels, who's supposed to be like the best offense coordinator in the NFL running the show, I don't understand why this offense is so ineffective. Six red zone possessions. They ran 24 plays in the red zone. Came away with two touchdowns, the Raiders. Three field goals. It was also an interception off of Darren Waller's hands. I mean, if you're talking about why did the Raiders, from the Raiders' perspective, why did they not win? Dropping a pass. Yeah, Waller had a couple of bad drops. But that'll, you know, that'll do it. Um, But I mentioned, you know, it was kind of this um, two 0-2 teams. Pivotal game for both teams to bounce back in in the AFC. The Titans do it to move to one and two. You have uh, Derrick Henry a little bit better this week. Twenty carries for eighty five and a score. He also caught the ball a ton. Five catches for fifty eight for Derrick Henry. You know, open on the uh, on checkdowns underneath and everything. Robert Woods had a couple big plays in there. Um, Titans managed to flip the field with a couple big plays. That was huge and just made the they you know from the Titans' perspective they made those red zone stops. They made the key plays when they needed to here they did um i think they're showing that that offense is still capable of putting up some points of being dangerous there's enough playmakers there where even if they're different names than they were in the past they can cause some problems for teams um and it's it's a lot of the sort of underrated players on that roster that are showing up with critical plays at the right time like you know Robert Woods is is the one that's sort of expected to make plays but Nick Westbrook-Akina keeps making plays Dontrell Hilliard had one catch but it was like a it was really nice big play late in the game where he gets 30 yards out of it um, and then Derrick Henry did look a lot more like Derrick Henry on the ground uh, had most of his yards after contact six broken tackles those kinds of things so I, I think things aren't necessarily great for Tennessee, but this was a game that showed they can still certainly contend in that division, which is, you know, their most important thing this year. Yeah, because when I'm looking through the games, I look at the grades and try to um, try to highlight the player, like, who he was the best player on the team or whatever it might be. 
this felt like last year's I mean David Long had the highest grade on the Titans defensively the linebacker it was there was a whole bunch of guys in the 60s and 70s which is like average to above average game this was like last year's Titans team where you're just getting contributions across the board I'm just looking defensively right now but contributions across the board um, that I think all added up to the key red zone stops uh, forced fumbles at, at opportune times as well I mean that was just kind of last year's Titans game Titans team and uh, overall Tannehill's playing playing pretty well I would say he had, he had a solid game got away with a couple but um, like I said weird game because I think I think this was the best Derek Carr's looked this season well yeah that but they be hard. but as far as they they were because of those big time throws they had all those red, red zone opportunities all of his big time throws essentially came between the 20s car and then you get into the red zone and the raiders don't have answers and you're right about mcdaniels um it's really tough to separate an offensive coordinator from say like tom brady um clearly tom brady is the bigger reason for patriot success with josh mcdaniels at the helm but mcdaniels does have a history he has done a pretty good job in the red zone scheming it up but i thought the patriots struggled last year against good teams at least under mcdaniels with mac jones struggling this year with Derek carr so i don't know how much of it really was just tom brady's better in the red zone than mm-hmm. than the other quarterbacks but uh the raiders and mcdaniels got to figure something out in that respect carr only got sacked that one time too so overall the pass protection was decent for the raiders and still uh still not enough there yeah and like Devontae Adams had a really spectacular touchdown catch, just a really nice adjustment play at the back of the end zone. It just it's it doesn't make any sense that this offense is as ineffective as it is given the talent that it has. Do you have anything else on the Titans? It just feels like last year's Titans team. No, which is I mean good they're for them. Like they just get contributions from a lot of people and come away with the win. They stitched it together. Like you look again, their defense is somehow able to dramatically outperform the talent that they have on it, I think. Um, they, I mean, they didn't have, obviously they don't have Harold Landry because of his injury. They didn't have Bud Dupree in this game. So they like to keep the same people out there basically the entire time. So um, Rashad Weaver, Danico Autry, those are basically their two edge rushers. And those guys, you know, they got some pressure, but the great, it's like the Harold Landry thing. You know, they're going to get four or five pressures because they're out there 40 times a game rushing the passer, but they're not necessarily tremendously effective um and yet the defense still does a good job no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today playing pick'em contests versus other people for your shot at winning two hundred fifty thousand plus in cash download the app choose a contest select your player props earn points for correct picks and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day you can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks bet on up to five player prop over unders with or individual player matchups across every major sports league including nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar sign up now using the promo code pff nfl promo code is pff nfl at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on No House Advantage. Not like us. We have the House Advantage here in all of our bets, which spurred from the Raiders fans. I wouldn't make a big thing about that given your record so far this season. 
I'm talking about the bets we took from our listeners, mm. not our picks mm. necessarily. Yeah, because yours. Where else are we going here in the one o'clock slate? We could fly through the rest of the one o'clocks. Uh, Carolina Panthers twenty-two, New Orleans Saints fourteen. It's a game that happened. It did. Big one for the Panthers. They get their win. They were two and fourteen in their last sixteen games. They go. They move to one and two. <laughs> um, Lavisca Chanel breakout game. Yeah. So the scoring started. Alvin Kamara, we got a forced fumble. Frankie Louvu with the forced fumble. And the Panthers return it for a touchdown. Marquise Haynes. Panthers go up 7-0. They're up 13-0 into the second half. The Saints finally get on the board. It's 13-7. And then, uh, man, Baker Mayfield's playing the worst football of his career. He really is. Worst football of his career. Baker Mayfield, where are the stats I sent you? I mean, you don't even need to use those ones. You just use the regular stats. They're bad enough. No, it's even better when you remove those. <laughs> so if you take out two passes to LaVisca Chenault, Baker was 10 for 23 for uh-huh. 80 yards. Yeah. But one of those LaVisca Yeah, so it was one big play to LaVisca. Was basically just, um, was it a little smoke route? Yeah, it's like one big catch and run from LaVisca. 67-yard touchdown. Accounts for effectively, what? A third of Baker and more than a third of then Baker Mayfield's yardage. Shallow cross later for 23 yards. So LaVisca goes two for two, two targets, two catches for 90 yards, including a 67 yard touchdown, which ended up being the difference in the game. Put the Panthers up 19 to seven. They ended up getting another field goal later to go up 22 to seven. Mayfield is playing badly, but this offense is terrible. There are two offenses in the NFL right now that I think are effectively committing coaching malpractice and undermining their quarterbacks. One is Carolina and one is Pittsburgh. I mean, maybe you could, we could talk about uh, the Raiders based off what we just discussed. But like those are two offenses where you're looking at them and what they're doing. And you're like, this is not helping anybody. Like you were, you're doing the opposite of putting players in a position to succeed. You're essentially putting them in no position to succeed. They have no shot other than what they can achieve themselves through superior athletic gifts, you know, in any given play. The Panthers offense is just running a bunch of simple, you know, mirrored passing concepts. Just They're not stressing a defense in any way, shape, or form. So they're expecting Baker Mayfield to go out there and just be better than the opposition. And right now he isn't. He's not doing it at all. Um, so he's... Yeah, he's not playing well. I'm, you know, I'm not absolving him from anything. He's playing badly, but this offense is undermining everybody. Yeah. So Panthers, they win. Offense is, is still rough. So they had the defensive touchdown there. I mean, that was the difference in the game. The Panthers, it was turnovers, three total turnovers for the Panthers. It was really two until Jameis just kind of threw it up for grabs at the end of the game. But, um, you had a batted pass interception in the fourth quarter when it was, it was still a it was a two score game. Saints are trying to trying to make their comeback. You got to credit the Panthers defense, man, because it's mm. the same thing as we said in the Raiders Titans game. The, the Saints were in the red zone four times. They only came away with two touchdowns, no field goals. Um, that's the difference in the game. Their defense looked good. Um, they, it took the Saints an age to get on the board at all in this game. So yeah, Carolina's defense did look very good. And I think there's a team. There's a team capable of doing things in Carolina if that offense was doing anything for its personnel. Like, the, the combination of Baker Mayfield, the receiving group that they have, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, an offensive line that's no longer wretched, this shouldn't be a bad offense, but it is. Um, and the defense is actually pretty good. So if you actually had an offense that was doing its end of the heavy lifting, I, the Panthers wouldn't be a bad team. Yeah, I mean... It, 
play for play, I mean, the Panthers played well against the run. Overall, it comes down to those those few key plays, the turnovers in this one. And uh, J.C. Horn's playing some pretty good ball. You're going to – I'm sure our guys, his uh, coverage stats are really good. Uh, 0 for 3 when targeted, interception. One, one of the inter- – the interception was that, again, it was kind of a, a prayer at the end of the game when the game was over from the end zone from Jameis Winston. J.C. Horn's doing a really good job. Last mm-hmm. year's first-round rookie of um, just playing well on the uh, on the outside there. Yeah. Marshawn Lattimore didn't give up a catch either. Yeah. Uh, just uh, weird one also for the Panthers because they give up 353 passing yards, and it wasn't like this was all just garbage time stuff. They were giving up some big plays. Chris Olave, Traquan Smith. Olave had a huge game. Yeah. Olave goes nine for 147. So I don't – I want to give the Panthers defense credit, but it wasn't it wasn't really a dominant effort. I mean, you, they scored the seven points defensively as well. They held the Saints to fourteen. They cracked down, but it was a lot of bend but don't break really by the uh, by the Panthers here. Saints, I don't know, man. Back to the drawing board. They're, they've they looked like they were going to be tough after Week One. They lose back to back games in the division. Bucks and Panthers here. They uh, Saints fall to one and two, and. Um, they should have the pieces to have an explosive offense, but they don't. So that's that's something they got to figure out down in Nolens. What else we got here? Cincinnati Bengals twenty-seven, Jets twelve. Mm. One-sided affair. Um, yep. Sauce Gardner may have given up another touchdown on a coverage bust. The bust. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I mean, Robert Sala. There was an interview back in the preseason. I think it was halftime they you know they busted a couple coverages he's like oh that's easy just you know eye discipline got to fix it this that feels was, like a weekly issue for that was one Jets of those defense. plays that was tough where there was a lot of pre-snap communication going on between three players on that side of the defense so sauce yeah. gardner the safety and a linebacker maybe whatever it was the three guys there dealing with two receivers they, there was a lot of pre-snap communication between them and then there was a bus Sauce Gardner tried to pass off his receiver on the inbreaker. Nobody picked him up, and he was just wide open for a touchdown. So I don't know if that was his bust, but that's one where, look, if you're going to have that volume of pre-snap communication, how can you not be on the same page at the end of it? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. it's um, We've watched a lot of football <laughs> through the years, Sam. If you just never bust a coverage, hmm. which is – easier said than done sure but if you do the thing that like the stuff that we don't talk about during draft time during draft time it's like oh how you know, how's this guy win what are his traits and stuff like that but at the end of the day defensively if you just don't allow free yards as much as possible you're like way ahead of the game and Salah's defense here they haven't been terrible this season but over the last two years there's just way too many of those just way too many of those. Yeah, I mean, I think it's last year you have to kind of put it down to, look, that that group that he had talent-wise was just, I mean, they were always going to get toasted. Um, and I would assume that when you have players that are that sort of low down in terms of baseline talent, it's going to translate to coverage busts as well as just getting whooped one-on-one. Like It's, it's going to be a mess across the board. This year, though, this is not a bad group anymore in terms of talent. Like, obviously, Sauce Gardner, the big addition in the draft, but DJ uh, Reed uh, is, a, is a good caliber starting corner. They've got players now on that back end that are actually decent, and the coverage busts are still there. So that is a concern at this point unless they can get that straightened out. Yeah, so they have to play better there. You still have, you know, some of the excitement on offense. I know they scored 12 points, but um looks like Zach Wilson's going to be back. 
because you've got uh, right. Joe Flacco right must have like 50 more attempts than anyone else in the league so far this year. Flacco dropped back another 46 times, uh, 56 times. Sorry, yeah. six turnover-worthy plays, 52 pass attempts, 52 pass attempts. My goodness, and uh, sacked a few times. Uh, much cleaner offensively for the Bengals as well, and also better distributed. Tyler Boyd with four. Four catches for 105. T. Higgins with five for 93. Almost had a sweet touchdown in there, too. Maybe one of Burrow's. Stupid rule. Yeah, maybe one of Burrow's best throws there. I mean, letting letting T. Higgins play above the rim, man. I love it. Um, and then you have a game where Jamar Chase, only six catches for 29 yards. His touchdown was on that coverage bust that we referenced earlier. Uh, Joe Mixon gets hurt in this game, so he's he leaves with only 12 carries, 24 yards. We'll see what happens with him, but Samaje P. Ryan fills in pretty well for him including uh, a touchdown through the air so this was a this was a much cleaner game by this Bengals offense yeah Burrow sacked only twice um, but I think it showed you the kind of tightrope uh, tightrope that the Bengals offense is walking um, in terms of pass protection and pressure and you know Burrow under that kind of pressure so the line this week held up better than it did when they were facing TJ Watt and Michael Parsons um, but they still gave up pressure. Like, there was a reasonably consistent stream of pressure coming through that offensive line and, and putting Joe Burrow under heat. But it was just that little change in severity from T.J. Watt, Michael Parsons, to what it was yesterday is the difference between Burrow getting buried six or seven times and Burrow being able to get out of there, make something happen, and keep the play alive and, and perform reasonably well under pressure. So despite the pressure that he had yesterday when he was under pressure – he he, like he had three touchdown passes under pressure. That, that was what he was doing last year, right? It's like playing this well under pressure is as unsustainably thing is an unsustainable thing to do. But I but think playing what, as poorly as he had been the last two weeks was also unsustainable. It reverted back this week. But I think what we might also be seeing is not just the variance of play under pressure, but we treat pressure as just a binary thing. Were you under pressure? Yes or no. But there's a difference between. Are you getting annihilated by Micah Parsons in two seconds? Or is, you know, a guy working his way through the offensive line, you can get out of there and you can keep the play alive running, you know, into open field and blah, blah, blah. So I think there is, it's a very fine line that the Bengals are walking right now between just overwhelming pressure that is destroying Burrow and, okay, there's still going to be some heat, but it's, it's kept just about under control and now we need you to go make some plays. And he showed that he's still well capable of doing that if you can keep the pressure under that line, which they did in this game. No, that's a really good point. There is a difference in in pressures, right? And um, and also multiple pressures. That's what the Bengals were doing in this game to Flacco. Trey Hendrickson with a huge game, eight pressures on just thirty one rushes. He was banged up. I don't I didn't get an injury check on him. I know he left at one point. Um, BJ Hill with a huge game. Uh, both of those guys had 90-plus pass rush grades. Those are monsters. B.J. Hill had six pressures from the interior, plus a batted pass. Hendrickson, we had him with three sacks by our numbers. So um, really nice job up front by the Bengals. Yeah, their pass rush was absolutely legit. Again, I mean, you know, the Jets' offensive line is not what it was supposed to be heading into the year, but um, Cincinnati did a great job. And the pressure came against players that should be better than that as well. Like, by the way, one of the sort of underreported, under-talked about moves or performances so far through three weeks is Lakin Tomlinson has played like crap 
Lake and Remind Tomlinson. me, he did not flip sides, right? No. He did not. So they moved. They flipped Elijah Vera Tucker to the other side right, of the line right, right, right. to make kept... sure that Lake and Tomlinson stayed at left guard, where he'd been really good for San Francisco. But remember, Lake and Tomlinson was a first-round pick for Detroit, played pretty badly for Detroit, and then wound his way in San Francisco, where Kyle Shanahan is tin cup, you know, and all of a sudden it's, hey, Lakin Tomlinson's having a career year. and play badly. Tomlinson's he just, like, slowly got better. He didn't like play offensive well. Offensive linemen do. Slow start, and then he got better as, the, uh, as his career wore on. He certainly didn't play well in Detroit. Low 60s. By the end, it was high 60s, low 70s. He had a grade of 69 in his first year and then 58 in his second year and then wound up in San Francisco where he went 60s, 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 and then two grades in, in the 70s. And it's like, oh, look, Lincoln Tomlinson is one of the best guards in the NFL now. And then, we go to a, then we go to a non-Kyle Shanahan offense, and all of a sudden he's got a grade of 44.5 and a pass-blocking grade of 55. It's the Shanahan tree. It might be the – that doesn't matter. It's the Shanahan tree, but it's not Shanahan. Okay. I'm just saying, we, we've gone from a guy who was a – let's call him a disappointment as a first-round pick in Detroit to a guy who – played very well for a couple of years under Kyle Shanahan, who has a history of taking players at almost any position on offense and getting career years out of them. And then we pay him a boatload of money, we move him to the Jets, and through three games, he's been bad. Well, George Fant was worse. So, Yeah, but, I mean, he's also George Fant. Yeah, he's been getting better, too. Anyway, the, uh, the Jets O-line did not perform well no. in yesterday's game. All right, there's one more 1 o'clock game to discuss. Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears. The Bears... Bears are two and one. Bears moved to two and one. They are at uh, twenty-three to twenty win over the Texans. Texans fall to 0-2 and one, but they remain feisty. Yeah. Uh, Khalil Herbert goes off in this game. So David Montgomery's banged up. Only has three carries. Herbert comes in, running back for the Bears. Twenty carries for one fifty-seven. It is fascinating, man. The Bears' running game has been outstanding. The last couple of weeks. I mean, you've got Montgomery was average. Was it Montgomery that averaged eight per carry or whatever last Her- week? Herbert is really good. He graded very well last year. And one of like I at some point during the offseason was saying, hey, Khalil Herbert is a very, very good running back, and we might not see anything like what he's capable of because the offensive line in Chicago just might not be good enough for him to be able to perform. Also, who knows he like what kind of breakdown he was going to get in terms of carries with David Montgomery. But with Montgomery out. Yeah, Herbert gets 20 carries, goes off for over 150 yards, has a bunch of really nice plays, breaks seven tackles. Um, He looked great. I mean, the Bears finished with 281 on the ground, including Equinemius. St. Brown had a 41-yarder. Big day for the St. Browns yesterday. Both of them. It's a good family. Uh, Justin Fields. Oh, man. This was like the, um, I used to call this the JT Barrett game, except Fields probably didn't add enough value to officially make it a JT Barrett game. The the ugly passing effort where you do enough on the ground yeah. to uh, make up for it. But Fields, once again, they only dropped back 22. Well, there were 17 attempts, official attempts, and five sacks. A few scrambles in there. There was a play early 27 on, passer rating, by the way, for Fields. Yeah. There was a play, I mean, overall grade under 50. He, I mean, there was a play early on where he dropped back, held onto the ball for an ice age, and then pressure came, and he ends up, escaping pressure scrambles for like a big first down and it's like okay that's so that's a positive play you know epa or whatever that's it's a good productive play for the offense but from a process point of view 
That's terrible. Yeah. Like, we had all day to throw back here. We held onto the ball way too long. We invited pressure, and then we were able to bail out. It's like the Andrew Luck thing, right? Being able to put out the fire you started in the first place. But you just watch that player like, wow, he is a long way off being able to, you know, can he elevate the play of everybody else around him and, like, drag the Bears to a better record than they, were, than they should have? Well, based off that evidence, not really. And I understand that they're 2-1. and one. They've actually won games doing this. But, I mean, Fields right now looks a long, long way off being this successful high-end starter for them. They are winning somehow despite that. That was like the Malik Willis play in... He had 106 passing yards, for God's sake. Yeah. A couple of interceptions in there. First one's a little iffy. Probably expecting the receiver to bend it just a little bit, and he doesn't. There's an overthrow in there. That's that's pretty bad for a pick. But um, that was like the Malik Willis play. Early, remember in the preseason that yeah. Rabel benched him for? It was an RPO. He was supposed to throw it, and then he broke out and ran for 17. Yeah. And the whole point was like, nice 17-yard gain. We know you're capable of that, but process-wise, you got to hit that throw that's going to work better yeah i mean in Vrabel the in the preseason was just like look just for god's sake just run the offense you know yeah. we know that you're capable of going you know being playing sandlot football and just ad-libbing and making it up on the fly and figuring stuff out but i need you to actually run an offense at the, this level roquan smith had one of his best games it was a lot of pretty good performances on this bears defense my guy jaquan brisker had his best game um did you know do you know how many missed tackles Jaquan Brisker had between for the, over the first two weeks of the season? No. Seven. Okay. Not good. No. My guy, model guy, Jaquan Brisker, the rookie safety out of Penn State, second rounder. But um, didn't miss a tackle in this game. He played much better flying around making some plays. Okay. Uh, Roquan Smith making plays, Nicholas Morrow. It was a good – this is like the uh, – it's what the Texans dream of. This lower – but the, the Bears did it. This lower-level roster, like, just playing good, solid football across the board. They played a good game. All the linebackers played well. Good job by the Bears. It's what the Texans dream of. It is. Got anything else? Uh, no. I, just uh, – this was just not a – it was a pretty depressing game overall. The, the thing about fields – you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, when you have a mobile quarterback that they run, it does open up the run game a little bit. They're running the ball pretty well. <laughs> they're running yeah. the ball. I mean, they're still not dropping back a lot. I don't know how sustainable this is. You know, 40 carries and, you know, 22, 23 dropbacks. I don't know how sustainable that is for the Bears, but hey, they moved to two and one here. They did. Their stats every week pretty much look like they play in a rainstorm. Yeah, it really and they only does. did one out of three games. It's like the rainstorm was not an outlier for their season, yeah. despite it. Like the, it's the game where the weather was so bad, you throw it out. Nothing from that game means anything, except the Bears' offense looks the same in every other game. Describe the Bears' offense. It looks like they played in a rainstorm every week. Hurricane, hurricane conditions. All right, let's go to the uh, to the four o'clock games here. Green Bay fourteen, the Bucks twelve. Uh, both teams now two and one in the NFC. This was a defensive struggle. Packers get up 14-3. to three. They didn't score in the entire second half. Uh, Bucks cra- cracked down a little bit defensively. They did a much better job. The Packers had questions at receiver, but Alan Lazard did play. Romeo Dobbs had that breakout that people had expected. Uh, there was a point in the game where Aaron Rodgers' average depth of target was like two, and he was averaging nine yards per attempt, so all the underneath stuff and – uh, they were doing a really good job scheming it up early on, creating open throws. But then, uh, like I said, Bucks defense played much better down the stretch. And then the Bucks offensively just couldn't get anything going. 
Russell Gage, 12 catches for 87, all underneath stuff. Rashad Perryman was was in and out. Cole Beasley was in there for three catches. He couldn't stand. He couldn't even keep his feet, even you know, when he was catching the ball. So uh, yeah, what'd you make of this game? Yeah. End, so by the way, end of the game, Brady leads the Bucks down. Touchdown. They've got a two point conversion attempt. A delay of game. Brady tries. To, they have no timeouts. Brady tries to change the play late. Leonard Fournette's going to move back a little bit because they're going to hand it off to him. I. It's tough to really tell, but um, who was announcing? Greg Olson was like, hey, they would have had it. Uh, but they did not get the playoff in time. Brady was calling for the ball, but he's changing it just at the last second. So they have to go for the game-winning, game-tying two-point conversion from the seven. Gets tipped away by a nice play by Devondre Campbell. Yeah. With nobody open there. Really nice play by Devondre Campbell. Um, yeah, they, so Brady... It, no receivers, essentially. You know, Russell Gage of the sort of the players you would have expected to be significant contributors heading into the season. And it's actually wild when you say, you know, you look at what they had on paper heading into the year and you're like, oh, adding a Julio Jones, that's just great contingency planning because if they get a slew of injuries like last year, you know, Julio Jones is there waiting in the wings. And they still somehow are buried with no receiver help. You have Mike um, Evans suspended, Chris Godwin hurt, Julio Jones hurt. Yeah. After the game, Todd Bowles said he could have gone. Yeah. But they're going to save him for next week, which is an interesting decision because it's uh, he could get re-injured. Yeah, I think reasonable. Like I, yeah. I wouldn't question that. Playing the long game here, even though this game against the Packers it's an important loss, is far but, bigger than yeah. next week's game against the Chiefs in the other But I, Yeah, it, it, I think it's a fair thing to say, let's protect him and have him not, you know, let's not have him injured for like a long period of time because we rushed him back a week too early because he could have gone if we needed him to in an important game i think that's a reasonable decision to make um but when you look at what it left them which was like russell gage who was 13 targets but then like every receiver was just letting him letting brady down left right and center the the inability of scotty miller to make a play at this point is actually mind-blowing it's it's and it's not you know it's not all drops or anything but He's always just off making the play, you know? Yeah. Like, the pass gets in, to the, from, in tight coverage. It, it's very catchable. And, no, he's not going to catch it. Or it's like, oh, we got a sideline play. No, we're an inch out of bounds. Uh, sorry. Every, I'm genuinely amazed at this point that Scotty Miller keeps getting in the football. I, if, given what happened last year when he screwed Brady out of a couple of interceptions in pretty short order, Brady was basically like, right, that, the ball's never going your way again. This is not worth it. But in the in the Super Bowl year, there was a point by like week four or five, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, all those guys on the team, Scotty Miller was the leading receiver on the team through like four or five weeks. Yeah. Because he was just being used as a deep threat. I, I think I think teams are keen to like any sort of contact along the route is gonna throw mm-hmm. him off. If he has a free release though, he is by you. I mean he is that fast. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's one of those things that's actually quite easy to stop happening though. You know, like there are some there are players for whom their one trick is a very difficult trick to combat. There are other players where once you know what their one trick is, we can just say, okay, well, that's gone now. You know, he can only win if you give him a free release off the line and essentially open the door to a lot of space downfield. Okay, well, let's just never do that then. Oh, it turns out Scotty Miller is now defunct as an option. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks are trying whatever they can offensively. They ended up getting getting away from the run game at some point, started throwing the ball. Um, it looked like Cole Beasley early on was going to be a part of the game plan, uh, trying to match him up, but he just got to, just got there this week. 
you know so there's just no there's no downfield passing attack in Tampa Bay with with no Mike Evans with no Chris Godwin with no Julio Jones all that said if you're the Bucks, Brady's still throwing the ball well yeah right I mean the stats aren't going to be very good he's still throwing the ball fine he's um I think given the injuries that the Bucks offense is dealing with a they will be fine you know once guys get healthy and it's they're not without everybody at every single game and b tom brady is playing pretty well so i'm not i'm not panicking or concerned by how bad this looks because i think it's almost entirely explained by all of the injuries that they've got you i'd be a little bit more concerned i mean so they're down to third string left tackle brandon walton holding his own like he's he hasn't been as good as donovan smith um luke uh at at left guard has struggled in pass protection i'd be more worried about the offensive line yeah holding up because i think you're assuming those receivers are going to come back but i think you know it'll be different yeah i think donovan smith coming back is a is an important player coming back for them at that point yeah it's not as good as it's been in the in in the past but if brady has receivers to actually make plays and catch the ball and not fumble it away i think the offense will be fine right and particularly as i think the defense is better this year than it was certainly a season ago so I think ultimately, one, like if you, once you get everybody healthy, I think that shakes out to the Bucks still being one of the best teams in the NFC. Uh, Devin White, I just want to answer some questions about Devin White for the Bucks. Linebacker is one of those positions historically where it, the perception from fans doesn't always match our grades, linebacker in particular. Devin White, it just, just look at the bad plays that the Bucks give up, and Devin White's generally in and around it like over pursuing on a on a quick screen to randall cobb for 40 yards and plays like that right devin white makes these incredible splash plays particularly as a pass rusher right didn't yesterday but as a blitzer he flies around the field he's also at the center of coverage busts and missed tackles and over pursuit and these the big plays that the bucks give up are often in and around devin white and i think that happens a lot with us with linebackers old buck quan alexander made a lot of splash plays had a lot of bad plays that you know fans tend to just kind of not see it's like oh we just gave up 20 yards well that play in particular the randall cobb one is a good example of how a bad play from a linebacker can be can exist entirely independent of the stat sheet so there's nothing statistically that says devin white did anything wrong on that play you know it's a pass to randall cobb um randall cobb like devin white is not the player in coverage on randall cobb that was carlton davis so he doesn't miss a tackle. So there's no statistical evidence that Devin White did anything bad on that play. But when you look at what happened, you know, it's a quick, uh, a quick smoke route from Randall Cobb. Devin White coming from the middle of the field, barrels in at a million miles an hour, just terrible angle, breaks down too late. Randall Cobb just runs around him like he's not even there. And Devin White like, literally didn't even affect the play from a position where a good like a good linebacker from a position where a good linebacker play would probably stop that for a couple of yards gain right yeah. so that's a big negative from Devin White on that play and it's the it's passing up an opportunity to make a positive play the, the like the swing between that and let's say that had been Levante David instead of Devin White Levante David probably storms in towards that breaks down better takes a better angle and makes a defensive stop on the play Devante David gets a positive grade Devin White gets a big negative because he overpursued and made a mess of it. Like the swing between those two is huge, and that's a big part of the the grading between good linebackers and bad linebackers. 
Aaron Rodgers had really struggled against the Bucs. What? I, I don't even want to say that. That's kind of like the narrative. Rodgers and the Packers did a nice job against Bowles in the Tampa Bay Bucs. Todd Bowles, head coach, defense coordinator, did a nice job in the NFC Championship. Um, in this game against the Blitz, Aaron Rodgers goes 15 of 18 for a buck 67 and two scores. Much better against the Bucks Blitz than he was in the regular season matchup uh, a couple of years ago. But the, the, the Packers did seem to have much better answers uh, against, against Tampa Bay's pressure packages and all that stuff. The turning point in the game, the thing that gave the Bucks life, Packers are up 14-3 to just before the half. Vita Vea dropping into coverage, forces a fumble on Aaron Jones. A little pass underneath. Could have been a touchdown. Probably would have been stopped short. But it, the Packers are probably leaving there with three more points to go up to 17-3. to And Vita Vea pops Aaron Jones for a forced fumble. Great play by the 350-pounder in coverage. Yeah. The... Those are the best plays in football, right? Like Vince <laughs> Wilfork interceptions and Vita Vea, you know, dropping I kept and thinking, closing on the ball and popping out a fumble. I kept thinking in that play, the difference in – if you're Aaron Jones – you know, the, the, the level of hit you're expecting to take in that scenario from, you know, a linebacker or a safety or whatever, just the difference in impact between the hit you're expecting to take and the hit the 350-pound Vita Vea delivers coming from, you know, your blind side in an unexpected position just must be colossal. The sheer physics involved in those two different plays must be tremendous. I love it. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say. Oh, so I thought, I thought Rogers played a, a really clean game, but have mentioned on here before if there's a weakness if you're going to attack Aaron Rodgers uh, disguising coverages is one thing that kind of brings yeah. him back down to earth a little bit completely misread um, Logan Ryan on an interception completely misread and that also allowed the Bucks back into the game but the Packers defense man they did as much as we talk about the pack uh, the Bucks offense and what they're lacking the Packers defense they lost Jair Alexander and they played really well Kenny Clark up front making some plays and Packers secondary, I think, generally does a good job avoiding the big plays. If you just take away a couple pretty bad coverage busts against Justin Jefferson in week one, Packers defense is about what we thought they would be, right? They're, they look they're good. good. Um, and they're going to make life difficult, I think, for opposing quarterbacks. So credit the Packers defense. Rodgers played a solid game. Packers had a good game plan, even though they didn't score after getting up 14 to three they cracked down at the end so there were a few games yesterday where it's like is this good defense or bad offense i think this game generally was more good defense and bad offense like the fumbles and stuff obviously that's bad offense generally yeah. the vita vea thing was good defense but like the billing in this game was goat against goat you know all-time great quarterback against all-time great quarterback like and then we had a low scoring game where it was you know nothing but i think these were two good defensive performances where actually the quarterbacks didn't play badly yeah they played fine and they, it's not like they were missing like rogers had the one there was one turnover worthy play in the game that was rogers um you also have and even that so it's bad he misreads the um he misreads ryan but when you look at what happened like the was it uh who's the was it tunyon 85 maybe Anyway, he gets a little tug from the linebacker that kind of skews him and starts sending him vertically in a way. Like, so yeah, he's expecting Levante it. David ends up undercutting it as well, which only happens because David yeah. gives him a little pull and, like, takes him off his track. But even if that, had, if that hadn't happened, like, Rodgers would have been leading him into a monster hit from Ryan, so it was bad. But you can sort of almost every – it's very rare where there's a quarterback play 
where they just do something completely inexplicable. Right. Usually there's something involved with the defenders and the receiver that like slightly changes where he was expecting them to be. Uh, the Packers also forced fumbles by Russell Gage and Brashad Perryman, right? Yeah. Both like guys? Yeah. Um, so I think for Bucks fans looking at like, hey, our offense can't score points. They fumbled in Saints territory last, last week. They may have had one against the Cowboys too. Um, but two fumbles this week too, even as, as they started to move the ball. So as the Bucks started to move the ball, they're also turning it over at a ridiculous rate from a fumble standpoint. Again, credit the Packers for that. But uh, Bucks offense really struggling these first three weeks. But see what happens when they get their receivers back. Packers move to two and one, tied with the Bears and the Vikings for first place. Yes. Three-way tie. Mm-hmm. Those poor Lions are in last place right now. Uh, Jacksonville 38. Chargers 10. Wow. Jags are 2-1, and one, man. And uh, Trevor Lawrence did it. Back-to-back good games. Offense was cooking in Jacksonville. And defense was cooking as well. Now, Justin Herbert playing hurt. Kind of looked like he was hurt. Missed, missed way more throws than usual. Still had that one ridiculous jaw-dropping throw. Yeah, in there stupid, for Herbert, just utterly stupid throw. But uh, this is a different Jags team, though, man. It, it's um, it's not. 2017 was the year where they like randomly became really good, right? They go to the yeah. AFC Championship, and that was more like years of top ten draft picks like came good. Um, but in this game, this feels like a, a. It's a lot of things. A culmination of a lot of things. It's their draft picks. It's their free agents. Devin Lloyd. Another huge game at linebacker, the rookie first-rounder, Trayvon Walker, we can talk about in a second, just making plays and coverage. Um, But you have Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, two of your free agents, being a big part of this game. So the Jags team is, we mentioned not only Doug Peterson coming in, but there's a lot more talent this year than there was last year, and we're starting to see it on the field. Yeah, this was their first away win since Oakland Raiders. That's how long it had been yeah, since Jacksonville won, a, won an away game. Um, they look good. Like, uh, as I said, I, I was joking last week that, hey, yeah, things haven't gone well for Indianapolis and Tennessee. We picked the Chargers, but that was co- contingent on Justin Herbert's health. He looked unhealthy, therefore we should throw that one out. I don't think we can blame that. Um, but, you know, we were joking that, yeah, bad start for Indianapolis and Tennessee, but the division is always there because it's not like anyone's going to go and take it, you know, even after Jacksonville's one good game last week. Well, this game, they did it again, and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, look, it, it Justin Herbert with, a, with broken rib cartilage, so who knows how, how much that affected or impacted this game. But this was an impressive performance from Jacksonville and at least a suggestion that they might actually go and take this division if the other two teams aren't careful. I think we can probably safely rule out Houston from any kind of run, but if the Colts or the Titans don't get their crap together in the next few weeks, it is entirely plausible that a Jacksonville team playing like this will run away to a reasonably commanding lead in that division that they might not be able to claw back. Trevor Lawrence did look good for a second game in a row. Um, And you can see the impact of a Doug Peterson versus an Urban Meyer at head coach and the offense and how it's putting players in a position to succeed versus a year ago. And okay, it might not be overwhelming or dominant. Like the, the relative lack of talent is still an issue. You know, they're not, they don't have the best group of playmakers in the world, but 
they can be effective. And the same thing I think is true with on the defensive side. Like this isn't a complete team, and there are definite weaknesses in that group. Um, but there's enough talent that they can cause major issues. Yes, that's how I feel about the Jags, man. They can uh, they can definitely cause some issues. Trayvon Walker's remains one of the most fascinating players in the NFL. Number mm-hmm. one overall pick, freak athlete, never seen anything like it. Makes another incredible play in coverage. So now we've got week one, peels off. We're just going to start listing all of his plays. Peels off for the interception in week one. In this game, end of the sec- uh, end of the first half. No, I'm sorry, early in the first half, second quarter. Just drops into coverage, makes a diving pass breakup. I think when you his some of his best plays in college were also in coverage. That's now okay. I can't remember if I put it in my notes or not, but I did feel like there was some Sam linebacker, like the old school Sam linebacker traits to him but where you most, would want to drop him into coverage and, and take advantage of that skill the set. most impressive plays i saw from him in college were plays where he was in coverage yeah you know everyone is looking at this freak athlete and saying trying to work out why there wasn't dominant stuff as a pass rush or what were they asking him to do and actually it was his run defense it was the best stuff the most impressive plays he made in college were in coverage and okay his nfl career is now three weeks old but the two best plays he's made two of the three best plays he's made have been in coverage. So do have we just looked at a guy who's 6 foot 5 and 275 pounds and said that's a prototypical edge rusher body cuz look at the movement skills and the change of direction like this guy he's the new freak, right? He's he's the new Javon Curse, the guy that's so freakish he will be an elite pass rusher and we just put it all together. Is he actually what Micah Parsons was supposed to be? which is a weird athlete, but a guy that exists as a linebacker in coverage. Like, is he the new LeVon Kirkland, where we just have this, like, absurd body playing a a position that doesn't look like he belongs, but actually that's where he's best at. Should Trayvon Walker actually be an off-the-ball linebacker (laughs) is what I'm asking. Maybe. I mean, the interception's an interesting one because from a PFF standpoint, we're just going to call it his coverage grade because he kind of read it. Yeah, it's kind of like a... Which, which compartment do you put it in right. type of deal. So it's, but at the same time, he's, he's not winning as a pass rusher yet. Um, often. Often. He's, but he's great in the 40s again yesterday, like all yeah. clean up pressure on 38 rushes, and he's been excellent against the run. Because um, as I mentioned last week, he got the violent hands, and he can shed blocks and, and do all this fun stuff. So Trayvon Walker remains a very fun player with a 93 coverage grade on the back of a couple plays dropping into coverage just a few times. He's also, like, he, he has a good feel for coverage. It's not just, like, you know, spot dropping to a zone and, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Like, you can see when he's in coverage, he's able to keep track of the guy that he's supposed to be covering in addition to getting the right place in, in the right time. That's not... It sounds really simple, right? You just keep track of the dude that's in your zone. It's not that easy to do whilst you've got your eyes on the quarterback and stuff. It requires that kind of peripheral vision and feel for a guy, even though you're moving in a different... Like, it's not... It's easier to say than it is to do, is, is the point I'm making, particularly for a pass rusher that's not generally supposed to be doing that. I honestly think... Like I said to you yesterday, what if Trayvon Walker is what Micah Parsons was supposed to be and Micah Parsons is what Trayvon Walker was supposed to be? <laughs> that would be... Like, they're the opposite player that they were each was billed as. Yeah. Maybe. It could be what they end up as. On the other side, Josh Allen, another awesome game for him. The pass rusher from the Jaguars. 11 yes. pressures on just 39 rushes. 
Um, four QB hits, seven hurries, a couple other wins in there. Of all the first-round picks they spent on edge rusher, he's the one that's closest to panning out so far. Yeah, he's been interesting because his, his pass rush grades have been in the low 70s his first three years. Not terrible. Um, also not great. Had a couple, you know, had the Josh Allen game last year where he dominated and all that fun stuff. This year has been the most consistent that we've seen Josh Allen, the former Kentucky Wildcat, number seven overall pick. I don't want to spend too much longer on this, but I think we need to talk about it. Um, what the hell was Justin Herbert still doing in the game late on? Yeah, I don't know, man. He's got broken rib cartilage. They're getting hosed by the, by the Jags. The game is long gone. And his left tackle, Rashawn Slater. Yes. So Brandon Staley came out and said it was because Justin Herbert still wanted to be out there, right? He said, Ooh. quote, he wanted to be out there with his teammates. Uh, he felt good and wanted to finish the game. Justin Herbert said, quote, I just didn't want to quit on the team. Now, as you said, no Rashawn Slater, also no Corey Lindsley. So two-fifths of his offensive line isn't in the game. Yeah. He has broken rib cartilage, and you're on a hiding to nothing. You're losing. Like, and on 47 dropbacks, the Chargers' pass-blocking grade is 44. I think that that is a big failure as an offensive coach because of course the quarterback wants to be out there like that players need to be protected from themselves at times and that is your job as a coach to achieve of course like if you go to justin herbert and you say hey we're losing this game you've got to we've got to hurt, hurt ribs you want to sit it out he's not going to say yes he's of course he's going to say no i got to stay out here i got the fact that he in his in his mind sees it as quitting on his team is why you need to step in and say that sorry you're sad take a seat justin we're done like you're not we're not risking you for no good reason this isn't you quitting on the team i'm making this call you're out of here the fact that he like that's risky because that like that is not an injury that, that is without risk of aggravation and making worse particularly when your pass protection is garbage yeah i mean i i understand starting quarterback staying in longer than most i think execution aspect of it just run your plays and all that stuff but not when you're that hurt yeah when you're that hurt and you're in week three, we talk about playing. I mean, Staley's answer is basically saying, I'm playing the long game. I'm playing the long game because Herbert wants to be out there with his teammates and blah, blah, blah. And we think that's better in the long run. I mean, that's what you're saying. You're saying, if I take my quarterback out, that's not as good as keeping him in and, I don't and having him be the leader of the team. But that's like what you're saying, I don't think it's even saying that. I think it's simply saying, I left the decision up to him which is just not the way that's supposed to go. Like That is your call to make, not Justin Herbert's, because Justin Herbert will always make the call to stay in the game. The long game is keeping that dude healthy. Yeah. So so it's different to when he injured it against Kansas City because, remember, that he had that play where he couldn't even run five yards for a first down. And you're like, oh, you need to pull Justin Herbert out of this game. Like, he can't function. I don't know how good chase daniel is relative to a broken justin herbert but at some point it looks like that crosses over and i literally tweeted that and then the next play you know dagger down the middle huge play insane play right after that you know for and they were right in this game so i think there's a difference between saying all right he's hurt he's busted up but we're a couple we're right there in this game we can win it still and justin herbert is our best chance to do that versus yesterday we're like the game's gone you're not winning this. There's no upside right now to keeping him in the game now. And I don't think there's any upside, like the upside, the potential upside in terms of his team, you know, believing in him because he's going to fight with them and staying out there when he's hurt is massively offset by the risk 
to, well, what if he takes one more shot because we've got backups at left tackle, at center? You know, it's just, that's just not smart. No, it's not. I, I, I disagree with that move by the Chargers. So a dominant outing by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like I said earlier, uh, Devin Lloyd, outstanding at linebacker. Again, yeah. Pass breakups. He had the tip on the interception. Pressure in there. Um, that's coming together defensively. They, they, I think they've just built this really good athletic defense that is hashtag fun to watch. James Robinson goes off at 100 yards on 17 carries as well. And for the second straight week, pretty clean game from Trevor Lawrence. Finishes with three touchdowns on 262 passing yards. I was looking good in Jacksonville. They got the Eagles next week. It's a battle. Two of the best teams in the NFL, Jaguars and Eagles. All right, uh, a couple more of the 4 o'clock games. Rams 20, Arizona Cardinals 12. A lot of missed opportunities in this one for the Cardinals. Another game. So the last game, Justin Herbert drops back 47 times. They barely even run. Um, I picked the Rams. We got this one. Nailed it. Mm. Covered this one. Uh, Kyler Murray goes 37 for 58. Only sacked a couple times, but again, another one of those lopsided, put it all on the passing attack type of games and just uh, just wasn't there, just wasn't to be. Marquise yeah. Brown goes off, though. Yeah. 14 for 140. But he was also open on a deep post, gets overthrown. I mean, there's just so many missed opportunities in this that one for the Cardinals. And uh, Jalen Ramsey it felt like he was all over the place. He had three pass breakups, all in different on different types of plays against different players. Ramsey had one of his better games in a long time. Yeah, which has been a couple of games this season where Ramsey's played really well. Yeah, and last this, week he was good too. This right? was the game where, you know, there are people that, were, that argue that playing him in this type of role doesn't make any sense. Why would you not have him out there as a true number one corner taking away the, you know, the outside receiver every single play? Well, this is the game that shows you why. Like the Rams deliberately try and make it difficult to avoid Jalen Ramsey or make it um, so that he can influence as many plays as possible, some of which will be in coverage, but some of which are also in and around the line of scrimmage and all those kinds of things. This is the kind of game that they envisage where they, when they make that move. Yeah, another fantastic game from Jalen Ramsey. Aaron Donald chased down the chicken. Kyler Murray scampering around. Donald snagged him. That, does, that doesn't happen against the Raiders. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, I, like the deep shot to Marquise Brown where it was just out of his reach. I do... When was the last time you saw a wide receiver lay out for a deep catch like that? Probably Brandon Lloyd. It's always Brandon Lloyd. <laughs> but it used to it feels like that used to be a much more regular occurrence than now. The receivers just they're like, "Oh, it's half a yard out of my reach." I guess that's that then. Remember like Mar I'm wonder I was literally wondering yesterday how many yards and catches would be taken off Peyton Manning's record if Marvin Harrison never did that. If he just went nuts, I can't get to that. No, I'm not Marvin that. Harrison made a career out of like launching himself half a yard beyond his stride and hauling in these Peyton Manning bombs down the sideline. People just don't do that anymore. You're saying Peyton wasn't hitting him in stride? I'm just saying that I think Marvin Harrison might have got his hands to that pass where Marquise Brown took a look at it and went, no, nah, not, not for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it went both ways. Five drops for the Cardinals. You got the miss from Kyler on that, on that big play. Uh, Stafford played a really clean game. A lot of underneath stuff. 74% of his yards came after the catch. So it was a lot of uh, yak-driven offense. You have Cam Akers with a spectacular touchdown run. And, uh, you know, he looked good. Cooper Cup on the end around. Hmm. Pretty uh, – that was the fourth and one play. They, I don't know if they did it exactly as the fourth and one in the Super Bowl, but good trickeration there for Cooper Cup for his first – 
career rushing touchdown. Ben Skoranek got open and caught the ball. He also, do you see him burying somebody as a lead blocker? I didn't see that particularly. Who's lined up with like a fullback and met and wrecked somebody. Who It was it was Zayvon Collins as well. 250-pound linebacker Zayvon Collins got his head blasted off by Ben Skoranek as a lead blocking fullback. It's not something you want if you're your first-round linebacker. That's going to be a rough tape session. Uh, anything else you got on this game? So I thought the Cardinals gave a good, good like they gave a good account of themselves in this game. But it was one where you sort of saw the uh, like the failings. You just saw the differences between the two teams. You know, Arizona did a pretty good job of keeping this close and giving it a shot, but the Rams are just better. Cardinals just felt it just felt like they just missed on everything. Yeah, like but the, because of that, I think like they're going to be in trouble. Like this this run of their schedule is tough. They've lost games that they should have won earlier on. Um, and now, like, you're going to end up with a really rough record after a while, even though you might not be that much worse, but you just made a mess of the early stuff. Yeah, Rams, um, sorry, Rams defense played played pretty well, even though there was a lot of missed opportunities. Jalen Ramsey, again, he's going to have a, probably a 90-plus grade. Bobby Wagner grading well. They still did a good job against Aaron Donald. <laughs> he's still just a just a good player only. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm starting. I, you can't feel sorry for Aaron Donald, but I think it's very important that people understand what is going into keeping Donald this quiet. You know, like Aaron Donald comes out of a game and he's got four pressures. Um, you know, maybe one of them is a sack, whatever. And it's like, well, Aaron Donald isn't playing that well. You know, it's like but the only reason Aaron Donald isn't doing what he usually does is because every team that he plays is essentially spending 50 snaps ensuring that Aaron Donald never has a single one-on-one opportunity against anybody ever. You know, and when he does, it's an instant win. So when we, this is, he just became, he got 100 sacks in this game, career. I, I think there's two defensive tackles that are ahead of him on the all-time list, three depending on if you look at the, the unofficial stuff from behind or from b- before they were official numbers. So Alan Page on the unofficial number, who's arguably the greatest defensive tackle to ever play the game. Randy White uh, for Dallas, another one of the greatest defensive tackles to ever play. And then John Randall, who I think basically played more as an edge rusher than he did as an interior guy. Was he guy. really a wide edge, Randall? Not a or wide like, edge, but he he played a lot on the edge in weird Or like three, four defensive end. He, no. In he, that era. He moved around a lot, but I would imagine if somebody went back and tallied up every one of John Randall's sacks, I would say a giant chunk of them came from the edge. Neil? Yeah. Um, Go find John Randall's sacks. So anyway, at the most, there are three players that were interior players that have more sacks than Aaron Donald through their entire career. I don't know how many more he's going to get for the rest of his career, but I think people need to understand how much harder it is for him to get sacks now than it was in his first few years in the league when he was being just treated as like a regular human. Now he's being treated as like that is the thing. We need to stop that at all costs in this game. You know, it's like remember when Jared Allen was going for the sack record? And he got, like, he needed three or something against Chicago in the final week of the season. He got triple team. Yeah, he got two, and then the Bears went, oh, no, this is not happening. Like, I don't care what happens to the rest of this game, but Jared Allen will never see another snap that doesn't have three dudes on him every single play because he's not getting the sack record against us in this game. Donald is getting that every game now. That's, like, his default position. So for him to have any kind of production at this stage is crazy. Yeah, it's a it, you know he's Aaron Donald. It's impressive, but yeah, the, the, his worst grades do come against the Cardinals. 
Um, just want to give credit to Jalen Ramsey. He was fun to watch in this game. Yeah, I mean, he was like sitting backside in zone, grabbing a crosser and breaking it up. And just he did just a really nice job. So um, Stafford's best throw, drop touchdown by Cooper Cup. That's why that would have changed the whole air yard dynamic and yeah. all that stuff. But the Another. Rams, I mean, Stafford, what's his completion percentage through three games? It's an interesting Rams offense through three games. We had talked about Stafford, you know, throwing so many passes into coverage and but just completing a lot of passes he's got about 72 percent completion percentage through three games average depth of target 7.4 so it's a lot i mean that's the lowest remember there was a point in stafford's career where he got super conservative he had mm-hmm. a uh, 2015 with the lions was the last time he's thrown the ball that short is that the jim bob cooter year um yeah that was the year that i think jim bob took over yeah and he fixed him quote unquote yeah, threw the ball underneath. Um, but 57% of Stafford's yards coming after the catch so far. It, it, I wonder how much they're limiting his his deep stuff. I, I don't think that they are. I really think defenses are just trying to take away the deep stuff that they did such a good job of scheming up last year. Which I think is a league-wide trend right now. Like yeah. this this you know split safety look and take right. away the deep pass is... is Throw the underneath to... stuff and create yards after the catch. I mean, I think a big part of it is it's going back to teams that can that can scheme up spacing type of plays and then create after the catch. Mm-hmm. But um, just something to keep an eye on with the Rams because this was this was Stafford's best game, but it was because he just didn't throw the ball to the defense basically because he took care of it better than he had in the first few weeks. It's a good starting point. Atlanta Falcons twenty-seven, Seattle Seahawks twenty-three. Entertaining game. Yeah, we took the the Falcons here, right? Uh, yes, this was one of the two games where we both picked correctly. Hey, good job. The Falcons' offense remains very fun. Very fun. Cordero Patterson goes for 141 on 17 carries. He just he just looks like a big, lanky wide receiver playing running back. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> what he is. It's what he is. It's, uh, it's funny. And Geno Smith, man, making big-time throws like the Mac Jones game. Big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays all over the place for Geno. <laughs> but uh, overall, he's still playing pretty well. Mm. Just threw the pick to end the game on fourth and eighteen. Yeah, it was a really rough one. There was a lot like not this, the interception, just didn't give his guy a chance. Yeah, the, there were some bad plays in here from Gino. The, the good ones were really nice. Um, this was kind of what I thought it would be, though, which is a sneaky fun game to watch in terms of both offenses are actually going to have some real success. Yeah, one because Atlanta's defense is bad, but the other one because like Atlanta's offense is actually a fun one to watch there's so much talent and difficult talent to match up with and you know marcus mariota can take advantage of that so drake london still looks like one of the best receivers in this rookie class Uh, obviously the top rookie receiver taken but three catches 54 yards and a touchdown for him they finally got kyle pitts going more you know this idea of uh, arthur smith claiming it's not fantasy football we do whatever it takes to win well you probably have a better chance of winning if kyle pitts is a large part of the offense so five catches for 87 yards for him Cordell Patterson doing his thing like there's so much it's it's not an easy offense to match up with and when you look at some of the numbers in this game in terms of like box score and production like both offenses were able to have some joy yeah we had the Seattle defense with pretty poor grades across the board other than Tariq Woolen who's uh another one of those because of the pick yeah the he had the interception but uh, Woolen is just like uh, Trayvon Walker as far as fascinating athlete to watch. But a um, lot of struggles defensively for Seattle. And 
yeah, like I said, like I said about the Falcons' offense, like you said. Sorry. Yeah, man, they are. When Mariota's taking care of the ball, much like we talked about with Stafford, when he's taking care of the ball, they're creating some plays. He also had an average depth of target, Mariota, of fifteen point seven. So this is we talk a lot about if you have the mid-tier quarterback, kind of embrace variance. If you have a mid-tier quarterback plus Kyle Pitts and now Drake London and Patterson coming out of the backfield, but you've got these big-bodied receivers that can make plays, embrace it, man. Throw the ball down the field. Take those take those chances. That's what they did with the London and Pitts and, and Zacchaeus too. But take some of those chances. I love that for the Falcons in that offense, taking chances down the field. And um, London, Pitts, Patterson, they do make it difficult for opposing defenses so yeah seattle struggled defensively gino threw the ball to the defense a ton didn't always get caught uh dk metcalf with a couple big plays in there did tyler lockett end up coming back i know he was banged up in there as well took a big shot tyler lockett but yeah they need i mean if if seattle's going to do anything they need lockett and dk they also need you know they need to come up with some better complementary element to the offense outside of those two guys i mean this is obviously not a new problem but they've taken a lot of swings at players that should be that tertiary option in the offense and just none of them have been that consistently there's another game i know it was a kind of a shootout and all that stuff but geno smith goes 32 for 44 with a couple sacks in there a lot on his play i mean there's a lot of him hitting the underneath stuff but then he was he was hitting seam routes he was he was getting the ball down the field pretty well um, even if they weren't always caught. But that's not Seattle's game, right? This is let Geno Cook game. Mm. Pete Carroll doesn't like this stuff. Dropping back 46, 48 but, times with but, your with your quarterback. Does he? Did he just not like it with Russ? Like, this oh, is the boy. thing. They've already let Geno drop back a ton. Like, two times in the last three games, Geno has, has had a career high for Russell Wilson in terms of passing, uh, like passing volume and frequency. Was this just a Russ thing? That Pete really didn't think that Russ could handle that kind of him. game plan. Like, is it is it the fact that Geno can see the middle of the field and deliver seams down? Like, I don't know. Or maybe it's just game flow, right? Maybe we're reading too much into to a couple of games that forced the Seahawks to pass a lot more than they want to. But yeah, they had the ball at the end of the half, first half. You know, so there's, part of it's game flow. Part of it's so. game flow. Part of it is like, look at what's happening in Denver with Russell Wilson, which we're about to get to. Like, there's something to this idea of. You know, maybe they just didn't want Russ having that kind of game plan. So Falcons, they get their first win, move to one and two. Seahawks fall to one and two. Like you said, you said it was going to be a sneaky, entertaining game. I kind of took the other angle and said these are two of the worst four rosters in the NFL. Not yeah, that they're not did. fun. Not that they're not fun. You did. You were all about crapping on that game. But they, but they have good playmakers. So it made it a good game. Still, Geno curious. Yeah. Uh huh. Because overall, he's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right. I believe that's all the games other than Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football. Just, we need Dan Orlovsky on the show. Dan. We need to get him on the show. We have a high standard for the guests that we have on the show, and we, we need Dan. Denver 11. 49ers 10. Yeah. A little 11 to 10. Broncos win over the 49ers. Little redemption for that fifty-five to ten Super Bowl. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo turns out the safety was the uh, was the difference in the game. Mm. Jimmy Garoppolo just stepped out of the end zone. It's easily done, you know. You got players 
rushing you. you, you he's only got 10 yards to work with. You got to who knows where the back line is. Could be anywhere. I love that Dan Orlovsky has embraced that and just made fun of himself and had fun with it. And when you see that, the Orlovsky clip, though, it's, I just can't stop laughing at it. It's definitely because he yeah. didn't know until like seven steps <laughs> into the end. Like he didn't know for a while. Yeah, I mean, he ran like ten yards laterally on the line. You know, yeah, with Jared like, Allen yeah, pointing the whole way, being like, uh, he's he's stepped out of bounds quite Meanwhile, some time ago. Garoppolo stepping out may have saved him a pick six. Yes. Yeah. So maybe it was good. The EPA per play for both offenses was negative in this game, minus point two seven something for Denver and minus 0.3 something for the 49ers. This was the before we talked about which was, is a bad offense or good defense. Well, this was bad offense. This was bad offense for both teams. I mean, the defenses are both pretty good too, but this was um missed throws. There was missed open throws and everything in there. There was a lot more misses. Like we talked about Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Brady and Rodgers really didn't miss a ton of throws. They didn't yeah. have a whole lot of big chunk opportunities. Because the defense was good. Were you impressed? This game, they missed throws a lot. Yeah. Were you impressed by the uh, the addition of the the in-game help for Nathaniel Hackett? He's hired. He's hired a guy now to help him make in-game decisions. They just hired him? Yeah, during the week. He's in the booth. I forget who it was. It was some long time. For, like he's now a special assistant, some Listen, long time NFL. The Broncos have people in the building. They already had people in the building. I know some of the people in the building. They're good and they're smart. <laughs> They've had people. Somebody made the comment that Mike Tirico was complimenting Nathaniel Hackett for, you know, like getting the field goal team out there. Yeah. In, in making decisions. I mean, that was, the, that was our standard so far. Um, the Broncos have hired 66-year-old Jerry Rosberg to an assistant yeah, I in saw game the, management. I saw him in the booth and everything. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm just, I needed to find his name. It's the second straight game. Russell Wilson has led a fourth quarter comeback. Last week, they scored 12 points. This week, they scored 11, both with fourth quarter comebacks where Russ just kind of like turned it on at the end. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like Russ doesn't have a big time. I I think his big time throw. I don't even know, but either way, he's just like zipping in back shoulders in the fourth quarter. Cause this is like the Kyler Murray thing. This is like last week for Kyler Murray, where the way you started to have success was by essentially dumping the offense in the trash and saying, just go make plays, just figure it out. So the way, the only way Denver's offense functions right now is when they go, all right, the game is almost gone. You've got 90 seconds to lead a comeback drive, Russ. Go for it. See what happens. And look, a part of this is always in those situations, the defense doesn't play the same way, you know, because the, the defense is playing the situation as well as the offense. They're not defending in exactly the same way as they would in a random drive in the middle of the second quarter. So that plays a factor. But Russell Wilson is playing at his best right now when he's got nothing to lose and he's just trying to execute a drive and trying to keep the chains moving. Um, and There has to be something that the offense can take from that on a regular basis to try and make, improve their overall efficiency. Now that Russ also had you know four drop passes in the game, some of those were problematic. They were under pressure a lot on that offensive line. Like they, Nick Bosa was causing them real problems. So, you know, it's not all Russ by any stretch of the imagination, but... No, it's not. It's not. I mean, look, the, there were definitely some sacks where he's... We talk about staring at the rush. I mean, he's he's inviting it, right? Or taking sacks at inopportune times. I said, Chris was like, hey, you're in field goal range. Don't take a sack. Boom, sack. Right? Yeah. It's not getting rid of the ball. I will say, 
with young offenses. You know, Brady dealt with dealt with this with the Bucks, I think, early in 2020. When you're going to a new offense, when you are blitzed, the second nature that you're used to of yeah. being in your old offense is kind of out the window. Um, so, so that's the thing about being a new in a new offense, right? You know your outlets when you've been in the same offense basically your whole career, or whatever. You know your outlets. You know where you're going with the ball and all that stuff. There are going to be growing pains, right? There, and I think Chris made the good point too. Rodgers in 2020 or 2019 when Matt Lafleur came, they did not have a great season. They had games that were just terrible with that offense, but then they figured it out. It took them a year, um, so I wouldn't completely panic there. But there are some. Russell Wilson just like purely throwing the ball, missing, and just not looking great until until crunch time. And he did it last week, and he did it this week, zipping Cortland Sutland. He just made makes all his plays in the fourth quarter. Um, by the way, which was not – that's not a foreign concept either. It's not like all of Seattle time, Russell Wilson was incredible. He had a lot of duds for three quarters where in the fourth quarter he just stepped up and, and made plays. That happened in Seattle too. It's always been kind of part of his game. It's part of what makes Russell Wilson good – is even when he's bad, you could still kind of trust him to to get you out of it and get him get get himself out of it in the fourth quarter. And he did that in this game. So it's ugly. I do think both defenses are good. Yeah. But they did benefit from from yeah poor offense. Yeah. I mean, in particular, I think Denver's defense is doing a phenomenal job of giving their offense like just enough like enough of a platform that they can still stumble over the line. A couple of times. Um, like if Denver's defense wasn't playing as well as they were, this team would be 0-3 and, and we'd be firing people already. The fact that they've been able to stumble over the line a couple of times, even despite this offense not quite firing, is almost entirely down to the defense, which has been playing really well. Like Randy Gregory had a big game here, had seven pressures, uh, had a sack in there. Bradley Chubb is having his best season, albeit like it's not incredible, but... He's being a, a very useful complement as a pass rusher. He certainly was against Seattle, right? Bradley Chubb was causing Charles Cross all kinds of problems. Like, yeah, Gregory and Chubb have been a good one-two punch rushing the passer for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and you know, we got good performances on the other side by the 49ers, Drake Greenlaw and uh, Fred Warner. Tra- uh, Traverius Ward played really well in there as well. Nick Bosa. So the Niners look good as well. But Garoppolo, man, just missing throws, having the boneheaded plays, stepping out on the safety. It did feel like the Niners, I mean, they did create their usual ch- chunk plays, too. They had, they had a few big gains in there. Consistent offense, though, was, was a struggle. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason that they tried to replace Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. Like, okay, he, you might get a bump immediately, or you might get some good games from Jimmy Garoppolo, but... We know that Jimmy Garoppolo is a limited quarterback that can have poor performances and cause some issues. Um, so for to, to see a game like this from Jimmy Garoppolo is not exactly out of character. The interception that Garoppolo... So Garoppolo's got a fourth-quarter comeback attempt. And by the way, coming into this game, Jimmy Garoppolo, number two all-time with a 50% fourth-quarter comeback rate. So when down in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Garoppolo brings his back team back half the time. Tom Brady, number one at 51%. But you have small sample size Jimmy Garoppolo and small sample size Andrew Luck, both at 50% historically. So Garoppolo has done this before, but he throws a fourth quarter interception. Ball got tipped up, but he's just 
just firing it into coverage, robber coverage. It was a lot again. like the, um, yeah, it was a lot like the Aaron Rodgers interception in terms of it was. just did not, did not budget for the safety playing robber in the, the far side. Basically, yeah, basically the same, same caliber of play. Um, so that ends up as an interception. The Broncos go run, run, run. They punt it back. Niners get one more opportunity. Garoppolo takes a sack. And then uh, P.J. Locke comes out of nowhere. Force fumble. Broncos recover. And uh, end the game. Seal the deal. They're 2-1. and one. Nathaniel Hackett's Broncos, 2-1. and one. Yeah. Despite the, uh, you know, <laughs> the obvious issues with the offense. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Look, it was better. They have the Raiders next week, I believe. Yeah. Should be a battle. I don't know. I, I don't quite un, I don't know quite what to make of this offense. Um, I don't I don't know if there's a way of melding a system to better assist the way that Russell Wilson is good. Similar to the Kyler Murray thing, which is I think those two guys play the game in a certain style that is largely uh, at least at its foundation point created by the fact that they're short quarterbacks that can't see over the line consistently over the middle. So each one of them has developed a way of playing that works for them and offsets that problem. The problem is, I don't know how you lean into that more because you can't just sort of say, all right, Russ, the entire offense is the two-minute drill, go. Like, that, that doesn't work because aside from anything else, again, teams don't defend as if every drive is a two-minute drill. Like, it, you can't, it doesn't work the same way. Right. And with Kyler, you can't just say, all right, the offense is figure it out have fun let us know how it went you know there has to be more structure to it than that and i don't i don't know how you lean into that and help those guys more but that right now is the problem facing those two coaching staffs which is our best player is also a guy that's playing the game in a unique way that we haven't managed to conform to yet can we or is this just part of the problem i mean i think you still have to embrace a lot of play action they did that week two against the texans didn't matter still have to continue to embrace play action, embrace your deep crossers, your outside lane type of throws where Russell Wilson really excels. It's a really small sample, but he's had three batted passes so far this year. So batted passes to me are not a product of height. <coughs> They're a product of where you throw the ball. You, you, you get batted passes when you throw the ball short and over the middle, generally. If Russ is on pace, I mean, whatever, it's three games. He's on pace for double what he usually has in batted passes. They're throwing the ball short, over the middle, like in these places where he's not usually successful or doesn't do it as much, in part because of the height, right? That he's, he's, he's dealt with his limitations really well throughout his career. Seattle worked around them as well, and I think that's part of the growing pains right now in Denver. How much do you construct the usual offense versus letting Russ cook, which doesn't mean drop back a million times. It means let him kind of play to his style. Yeah. If you're, but but this, is, this, was, this was always the argument against let Russ cook. Three straight games, by the way, of 40-plus dropbacks, 61 passing grade through those games. It has not been. But that, I think, great. is the issue with that concept of let Russ cook is that you can't simply let a guy play in that style you need quick game you need times. the things that he's not consistently good at you need right. the, or you need to work the middle of the field so that, you need quick game but that's where the disconnect comes right yeah. is that you can't simply let him do 
you can't lean into that style of play as the offense. That can't be 100% of it. You need to augment it with all the other stuff, which is where he's not actually that great. So now it's, it's like the Cam Newton problem. Um, and I, I think we've seen that problem with other quarterbacks as well, which is like Carson Wentz, same thing. In, the, in trying to make, trying to help him out, you lean into other aspects of offense where they're not actually as good. So what you end up doing is just blunting the performance of them overall. What you, the, only, you, the only way of making those guys maximize their effect is by leaning into the things that they're good at, which is usually leaning into a style of offense that isn't as efficient as it could be. So Carson Wentz is at his best when you just let him cut loose and make big plays and throws down the field, even knowing that that is going to cause a bunch of bad plays and turnover-worthy mistakes. Um, Cam Newton's inaccuracy is part of him, so the only way to get the maximum out of Cam Newton is to just let him loose it downfield and then lean into his rushing threat and hope that there's enough good in that that you get the 2015 MVP version. You know, we're seeing these issues of how difficult it is to create a custom offense for a guy that isn't going to play it the way you have it drawn up on the chalkboard. And right now, I don't think Denver has any idea how to make that happen. And I don't think it's an easy solution for them no, either. It, it's a challenge because even those first two examples you said, like Carson Wentz, like Cam Newton, kind of like let them loose, turn it over every now and again, miss your throws, but be aggressive doing it. That's like a tough coaching conversation. Most coaches aren't. Yeah. Having the, they're not even speaking that language, right. right? It's like, how do I fit my offense to this guy? It's not like, chuck it down the field, embrace variance. That's it's not really a common thing. Our, uh, going back to the other quarterback situation, our buddy Josh Norris had a good tweet, which is the piece of the Trey Lance conversation that wasn't stressed enough is that Jimmy G also makes mind-numbing mistakes only without the upside. Like this is like, no, it's true. This is the argument I was making all last year, which is. The volume of bad plays Jimmy G's making at this point, it would be quite difficult for Trey Lance to play significantly worse than this. And he brings you the, you know, the threat of the things that Kyle Shanahan can do with a rushing yeah. threat at quarterback. It's and, and the big plays and the and the, the the deep passes. Yeah, our grades are actually really good. Chat QB grades are good. QB stats are dependent on a lot of things, especially in single games. The grades tell you the context there. All right. Two and a half hours right on the button. Beautiful. Week three in the books. Giants-Cowboys tonight. Enjoy that. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back again on Wednesday with our midweek show previewing Thursday Night Football. Bengals-Dolphins should be an awesome one. And, uh, yeah, be sure to hit that thumbs up on the way out. I need Dallas to cover to get to a miserable 500 for the week. I didn't start counting my picks for like week seven last year. I think we need to do that once again. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again on Wednesday.